to Wendell's World in Sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Windows World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things getting down that I want to discuss today. Some in the world of sports, some things not in the world of sports. I hope everybody is being safe. I hope everybody is being responsible. I hope everybody is following what they need to be doing to see what we can do to get back to some type of normalcy sooner rather than later. I don't know if that's going to be happening, but I hope that everybody is being safe. I hope everybody is, again, being responsible and doing what they need to do to make sure that your partner, your friend, your wife, your husband, your children, your next door neighbor, your friend, anybody that you come associated with, friend or foe, that they are not putting themselves or you're not putting them in any type of danger by being irresponsible so far with this coronavirus, the COVID-19 epidemic that we have going on right now. But there's some things today that we're going to be discussing. Let's just start off in the NFL. There's going to be no reunion for Tom Brady and Antonio Brown. This is really not going to be so much about, oh my goodness, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. We've kind of gone over everything, at least I've gone over everything concerning Tom Brady about him going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the New England Patriots, how that's going to affect the Patriots, how that's going to affect the Buccaneers, there's really nothing going on. So the avenues that I want to drive down concerning Tom Brady, I've already driven, the houses I've already been to, I've already ate their food, and now when it comes to Tom Brady, that uh, that baby has been put to bed. But I do want to talk about the situation about Antonio Brown and the possibility, or there was some possibility, or there was some speculation that Tom Brady was going to do everything that he could to bring Antonio Brown over from exile to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so they can be the dynamic duo of the 2020 season for Tampa Bay. As you know, Antonio Brown, except for, I guess, a couple of games for the Patriots, maybe one game for the Patriots, has not played football. So this discussion that people were having about, hey, is Antonio Brown going to join Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Well, on the Tiki and, and Tyranny show, on CBS Sports Network the past this past Thursday, Bruce Arias, basically the head coach of the Buccaneers, basically put a stop to all of that nonsense by saying, no way, no how is Antonio Brown going to be taking his talents and his clownery and his buffoonery and his stupidity to Tampa. And he said, basically, it's not going to happen. There's no room and probably not enough money. There's not enough, but it's not going to happen. It's not a fit there. So as you might well have remembered if you don't remember if you don't know let me explain to you that brown and arians worked together when uh, arians was the offensive coordinator with the pittsburgh steelers so there's another door that's been closed on the possibility of antonio brown playing for a franchise in the national football league i always thought that if antonio brown was going to be playing football again we know programs like the Oakland Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots, those organizations aren't going to have anything to do with them. I thought maybe a, a franchise like the Washington Snyder Skins, somebody like Daniel Snyder, who has always been that type of guy who has taken those type of chances and 
gone after the big name, you know, the shiny big new objects. Daniel Snyder has always been impressed and always wanted to go after. So if you took a look at his history of owning the Washington professional football team in the area, that he's always gone after those type of guys. He's gone after the Halbert Hainsworth. He's gone after these guys who might be a little bit on the edge, shall we say. You could even say that his ownership with Washington, he's been the, the, the new Al Davis in terms of taking guys who many people don't want and putting them on the football team. Antonio Brown, I thought in that situation would be a perfect fit for my Washington football team. But I guess Ron Rivera, now the coach of the um, of the Snyder Skins, kind of put a stop to that and said, nah, we're trying to change the culture. We're trying to change the past uh, the embarrassments that this organization, that this franchise has been through. So, no, we will not be going up with Antonio Brown. And another team I thought might take a bite uh, the Antonio Brown Apple is the Dallas Cowboys. They're another team. If you take a look at someone like a Greg Hardy, if you take a look at someone like a Terrell Owens, it's almost like Antonio Brown and Jerry Jones were almost kind of made for each other to have a type of working relationship. But as far as what's been going on so far, and if anything was going to get done, if any trigger was going to be pulled, if any type of deal, any type of situation was going to happen concerning a relationship, a working relationship starting with Antonio Brown and the Dallas Cowboys that it would have happened as soon as the New England Patriots released him back in the early infancy of the 2019 season. But nope, they're gone also. So the question now really becomes, and I'm not saying that Antonio Brown should be put in the Colin Kaepernick department because, as we know, Colin Kaepernick is not playing football unfairly, unjustifiably. He's not playing football. But will Antonio Brown, because of his behavior, Will he ever get an opportunity to play in the NFL again? I mean, the reasons why I don't think it's going to happen from my point of view. I think at 32 years old, Antonio Brown, his days of playing football in the NFL, I believe are over. I mean, the reasons are pretty simple. Number one, if you can't work with Mike Tomlin and Jay and uh, John Gruden, I don't know who you can work for. The consistency, you know, when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, that whole situation where he came in and he came in humble. He came in, at, I believe, as a fifth-round draft pick out of Central Michigan, and he came in, he worked hard, he worked his way up the ladder, he earned everything that he got. And then as soon as he became one of the elite receivers in the National Football League and with everything that comes with being a dynamic, uh, dynamic talent in the National Football League, playing for a historic organization, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, all of a sudden he became entitled. All of a sudden he became quite hubris. All of a sudden he became quite arrogant. All of a sudden he became quite selfish. And those type of things, consistently showing up late to team meetings to set up the opening, the upcoming week games, the situation he had with this quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. Look, I'm not saying that Ben Roethlisberger, Ben Roethlisberger is far from being a saint. Ben Roethlisberger is far from being a leader. Ben Roethlisberger is far from having his, clan, his hands clean and the situation that went down with Antonio Brown. But if you remember the situation a few years ago after a heated dispute with Roethlisberger during a Wednesday walkthrough in the upcoming Week 17 game against the Cincinnati Bengals, Brown threw a football at him, skipped the remaining practices heading up to the game against the Bengals, and then he was uh, basically exiled for the remainder of the season. And that's really started the snowball where Antonio Brown publicly came out and said that he – didn't want any part of playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he then was traded, not for a first-round pick or a second-round pick. Remember in my last podcast or a couple of podcasts before, I was talking about the absurdity that 
Bill O'Brien, the head coach of the Houston Texans, would trade DeAndre Hopkins and not even get a, a first-round pick with such guys as Odell Beckham Jr. and, and uh, others were getting first-round draft picks. Well, in a situation like this, when we're speaking about Antonio Brown, and his trade demands and him getting traded to the Oakland Raiders, they didn't even get a first-round pick. They couldn't get a first-round pick for Antonio Brown. And someone of his stature at the time, someone of his production at that time, someone of the magnitude of his talent and the impact that he could have for the team, you would think that with everything copacetic or even semi-copacetic that they could have gotten a second or a first-round pick. But no, only a third-round pick is what the best that the Pittsburgh Steelers could do, and they were kind of like, fine, take it, shit, just get him the fuck out of here. So, Antonio Brown goes to the Oakland Raiders, signs a three-year, $39 million contract, <laughs> very good, and then when you think that you can start talking about all the situations about David Carr and Antonio Brown, and how Antonio could fit in in the wide receiver position with the Raiders, and how he could help build some type of relationship with his quarterback and his other wide receivers and be the leader of the offensive group or at least the leader of the wide receivers, wide receivers group. Before we could even really get started into those type of discussions, along comes Helmet Game. Fabulous, wonderful, glorious. Brown was so upset. If you remember about the Helmet Game, about you know the NFL was switching had a new policy which mandated that every player wear a new helmet so it could decrease the chances of players getting concussed. So Antonio Brown, everybody had to do it. Tom Brady had to do it. Everybody who was anybody had to adhere to this new format that was set about by the NFL in terms of wearing this new helmet that would be NFL mandated. Well, Antonio Brown threw a fit and he didn't like it and all this nonsense. And, you know, he was talking about he'll never play again and this is bullshit and that started him clashing openly openly with the coaches at OTAs over the issue. And then there was one time that Brown reportedly stormed out of practice in an attempt to sneak his old helmet onto the field, going as far to try to paint the mirror, paint it in the mirror, try to take his helmet, his old male helmet that he wanted to use, somehow manipulate it, paint it, try to disguise it to make it look like one of the mandated helmets in hopes that no one would notice. Oh, how about that? Surprise, surprise, someone did. So he got the big huff and argument about that. So the Raiders had to put up with that drama, and the Raiders had to put up with that nonsense, and the Raiders had to put up with that foolishness. And then I'm not going to even mention the situation where Brown, I believe, got with frostbite as one of his toes became frost, became frostbitten when he went into a cryo gym, uh, what, one of these... One of these recovery type of uh, machines and got his feet all messed up, a cryotherapy or a cryotherapy or whatever bullshit that is. But basically, so they had to deal with that. And then there was a situation in Oakland with Antonio Brown arguing with GM Mike Mayock, referring to him by a racial slur. It's called a cracker in the process, and I'm not going to get into the cracker on the same level as calling somebody a nigger if you're white and the guy who you're calling nigger is black and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that discussion right now or debate right now, but basically it was meant to show malice. It was meant to show, you know, bad intent when Antonio Brown called Mike Mayock a cracker, but it was also reported that Brown threatened to hit Mayock in the face before punting the ball and yelling out, they'll find me for that. So, 
They were that bullshit about that. And then, of course, Brown posted a nearly two-minute video on his YouTube feed with a private phone call with Gruden where, you know, Coach Gruden was talking about, hey, you know, what? would you just stop with this bullshit and just play football? And, of course, Brown thought it was funny that it was re- recorded and he put it on his YouTube feed and all this kind of nonsense. So all of this bullshit that went down couldn't even get – we couldn't even get to the beginning of the season – couldn't even get to game number one before Antonio Brown had burned all his bridges in Oakland. I mean, thank goodness, because if you know Oakland, you've got the Golden Gate Bridge, you got the Bay Bridge, you got the San Mateo Bridge, you got the Dumbarton Bridge. You got all of them bridges. And after, who knows if Antonio Brown would have been kept on that team? What other bridge was he, was he going to burn down next? You know how important the Golden Gate Bridge is? For those who live in the Bay Area, who live in the San Francisco area, do you know how important the Golden Gate and the Bay Bridge and the Dumbarton Bridge and the San Mateo Bridge, you know how important those things are? If Antonio Brown was allowed to stay with the Oakland Raiders, hell, those bridges would have been next. Just kidding. But still, my point is, is that he wore out his welcome extremely quickly to the point where we, the investment that we made in you by getting you, we don't care. You've got to go. So, they released him. He was signed by the New England Patriots. And then this was a situation where it seemed like everything was cool. But during the time with the Patriots, he's accused, he's accused of sexual assault and rape. A lawsuit filed in the Southern District of Florida by physical trainer Brittany Taylor claimed that Brown sexually assaulted her on multiple occasions over the last three years, including one forcible rape. And she filed a lawsuit claiming Brown sexually assaulted her on three different occasions from June of 2017 through May of 2018. And because of that, and the fact that he sent, what, text messages to some woman who was accusing him of something, the Patriots said, enough, 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 enough. You lied, you didn't tell us what was really happening, and we're going to have to go through this bullshit again. Nah, that's okay. We are done. We are gone. The relationship is over. And of course, being in particular, following the pattern, Brown disparaged owner Robert Kraft after things went sideways in New England. So here we go, man. Here we go. And even in, we're talking about the NFL right now where the importance of a wide receiver is now past the importance of what a running back can bring as far as when a football team is concerned. A elite wide receiver is a high commodity. In the NFL, of course, not enough, not more than a quarterback, but still, we're speaking about the value for a quarter, uh, excuse me, for a wide receiver has never been higher. And here's Antonio Brown acting the fool, being a chump, being a clown, being a bad teammate, being immature, being unprofessional. The Steelers said bye-bye. The Oakland Raiders said get the hell out of here. And the New England Patriots said enough is enough. So all of those things that I just mentioned, all of those things that happened with Antonio Brown from the time his last couple of days or time with the Pittsburgh Steelers to the time that he was cut by the or released by the New England Patriots, I just documented. But of course, another reason, and this is not the main reason, of course, this is not the main reason because we all know if you can play football, if you can somehow, some way help a team, that some of the off-the-field transgressions can be kind of put to bed, can be kind of excused, can be made excuses for. All we have to do is take a look at the long line of players who have gotten second, third, and fourth chances in the NFL to help a team win, despite 
them not being Boy Scouts, despite them, forget being Boy Scouts, but despite the fact that these guys aren't the greatest of human beings, people who, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable if you uh, lived right next to them, but of all of this nonsense that went down with Antonio Brown, which I just documented, another reason why Antonio Brown is having problems finding employment in the NFL, this Fucking people can't do nothing. You fucking white fishball, get the fuck out of here, you bitch. That bitch is broke with two more other kids. That bitch got none. She don't have no billy. Get the fuck out of here, you fucking pussies. Fucking bitch. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of my property, you pussies. This bitch here, fuck, fucking here from the hotel. She don't have none. Fuck out of here. I love you, poppy. I love you. Go out them bitch-ass police. Get the fuck out of here. Bitch-ass little cop. Look at the little cop. You wish you could take me, you bitch-ass nigga. Fuck out of here. Yeah, get in the back of the police car, fishbowl, and you ain't leaving with shit, bitch. Get the fuck out of here, you bum asshole. Uh, yeah, that was in, that was audio of Antonio Brown, white fishbowl, calling police pussies and bitch asses, bum assholes, bitches. The woman of her, the 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 mother of his children, of course, his children were there as he said, "Bye, poppy, and I love you." This, that, and the other. This is embarrassment, just the buffoonery, just the. Just the Negroism of the stupidity of Antonio Brown on full effect. And if you're an owner, if you're a GM, and if you're a coach, and this guy is not, no, no, Antonio Brown is not 21 years old in the prime of his career where he could be the greatest or he could be the top tier wide receiver in the league for the last, for the next eight or nine years because Antonio Brown is no longer that guy on top of everything that I just mentioned before about his buffoonery, about his lack of professionalism, about his troublemaking abilities, about his divaism, all of that stuff could be tolerated. I mean, all, all of that stuff thrown into this soup, into this mix with this audio of this is the way that he's behaving. This is the way that he's sounding. This is the way that he's conducting himself. This is the way this guy right now, for him doing this, is so clueless, is so ignorant, is so stupid, is so tone deaf, is so into himself that putting out this ignorant, embarrassing buffoonery of uh, audio on Instagram or on whatever one of the social medias, who is going to listen to that, Antonio? I mean, really, man, I don't know you personally, but I'm going to have to ask you, man, are you that stupid? Are you that ignorant? Are you that tone deaf? Are you that unaware? Do you have that lack of common sense that you're going to put that out there? You are going to put that out there and really expect to get a job in the NFL? Who is cheering this, Antonio? Who Who is sitting there going, yeah, who is listening to this, Antonio? And going, yeah, you're the man. Yeah, let's give him a job. Yeah, all right, play, play this idiot again. Fucking people can't do nothing. You fucking white fishball, get the fuck out of here, you bitch. That bitch is broke. With two more other kids, that bitch got none. She don't have no billy. Get the fuck out of here, you fucking pussies. Fucking bitch. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of my property, you pussies. This bitch here, fuck, fucking here from the hotel. She don't have none. Fuck out of here. I love you, poppy. I love you. Go out them bitch-ass police. Get the fuck out of here. Antonio, who in your, who in your circle, who in the people that you trust, who's telling you to go ahead and do this? Who is telling you to go ahead and make this public? Hey, look, man, I'm quite sure that we've all had arguments with our spouses. We've all had arguments with our friends. We've all had arguments with the people that we love. We've all said some things. We've all done some things where 
you know what, if it became public, we would have a lot of explaining to do to say, hey, look, man, that wasn't me. We've all said some things to our spouses and to our wives and to our husbands and to our girlfriends and to our parents and to our children to where, you know what, if that shit got on tape, it would be highly embarrassing. In the heat of the moment, yeah, I get it, man. In the heat of the moment, when you're angry, when you feel that someone has done you wrong, when you feel that you're being harmed against, and especially if you feel wrong as a black man that this woman is going to be calling the police to come to your residence, I'm quite sure you, you could be angry. You, you would be belligerent and all of those things. I, I get it. I understand it in that situation. The language that you used in front of your kids, hey, you know what? Not my cup of tea, but you know, you're not the only man white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Jew, Episcopal, you know, whatever. You're not the first you're not the first male to talk and use that type of language and sound that ignorant in front of in front of kids. Again, regardless of race or whatever. So that's now I'm not even gonna put that on you for that point. My whole thing, my whole head scratching thing, if I'm a GM or if I'm an owner of a football team where I'm like, there's no fucking way that I'm going to have this guy be on my football team is how stupid must someone be to actually go ahead and act like this, first of all, where everybody around everybody can see you, not behind closed doors, but right in front of everybody. Oh, and then just in case you even expand the... Viewers, the viewing audience of my stupidity, of my buffoonery, let me go ahead and put it on one of my social media deals. Let me go ahead and show the entire world, show the entire public, and more importantly, my teammates and future coaches and GMs and owners that this is what I'm really about. Let me go ahead and do that. Let me go ahead and show the fan base. Let me go ahead and show the advertisers. Let me go ahead and show all the people who are sponsoring me and paying me, I guess, in the upwards of millions of dollars, let me show them how stupid I am. Let me show them how ignorant I am. Let me show them how unaware I am by putting this embarrassing, pathetic, ridiculous confrontation argument, whatever you want to say, with the Florida police and the mother of my children. Let me go ahead and show the entire world this. I'm quite sure after I show this, on my social media platform, that the NFL owners and coaches will be just be begging to sign me up to get me back on a football team. Oh yeah, this is the trick. Unfucking believable. Look, hey man, I get it. Wide receivers in the NFL—they've been challenges at one point of their careers. Even the great ones, even the Hall of Famer like Michael Irvin, has had his embarrassing moments. Even Hall of Famers like Terrell Owens, even. Hall of Famers like Chris Carter and Randy Boss, even players who have been integral parts of teams like Plastico Burris, and even people of high talent-wise like a Brandon Marshall or a Chad Johnson or a Dez Bryant or a Keyshawn Johnson or an Andre Risen. I mean, they've all at one time or another when they were playing present some type of quote-unquote challenges have been difficult at times. But, man, I don't remember any of these fools acting like this. I mean, yeah, Terrell Owens, but look how many teams Terrell Owens bounced around before he finally, before teams finally said no more, no moss. And maybe that was because Terrell Owens just got old, but what did he end up? He ended up with Buffalo before that was the end of it. I mean, you take a look at someone like Brandon Marshall of the Denver Broncos. Now, he had a disorder in terms of something that could be taken medication for, and that he did a complete 180. But by the time he did a complete 180, the skills that made him such a top receiver when he was going nuts with the Denver Broncos, those had all but dissipated. And you take a look at Chad Johnson changing his name to Ocho Cinco and 
doing things that uh, ripped up and tore up his career. Lost an opportunity to stay with the New England Patriots at a time. You take a look at Keyshawn Johnson, just throw me the damn ball. Remember that? You take a look at Platico Burst, who spent time in jail because he went out one night in New York and shot himself in the leg with a gun, which was against the law. You take a look at Randy Moss, straight cash, homie. You take a look at some of the situations that, again, had an opportunity for the New England the New England Patriots. If he would have just behaved himself just a little bit, the New England Patriots with Randy Moss, they wouldn't have the opportunity to win two or three Super Bowls with Randy Moss if he, if he would have stayed there five, six years and worked with Tom Brady. But because of what he was doing as a player at the time, he lasted what, a, year, what, a season and a half before Bill Belichick said enough is enough. And the first year they were with him, he had, what, 20-something touchdowns? And then the next season he couldn't make it all the way through because of some of the character flaws at that time that Randy Moss was going through and the difficult situations. And there's Brian and Andre Rice. And we can go on and on and on. So, look, we get it, man. I'm quite sure that with NFL head coaches, especially ones that have been successful, I'm quite sure that they can work with even the most challenging of wide receivers. But with Antonio Brown, it's to the point where it's like, I can't even deal. When you know that someone like maybe like an Andy Reid or an owner like a Jerry Jones or a Daniel Snyder as of right now don't want to have anything to do with you or not interested at all in you joining their organization, I don't know where else Antonio Brown can go. The man is going to be 32 if the NFL season starts on time. He had to play in an NFL game since September 15th of 2019. And guess what he's been doing lately? You would think, if I'm Antonio Brown, if I'm advising Antonio Brown, if I'm his agent, if I'm his friend, if I'm his brother, if I'm his father, if I'm anybody who can get him to do like 15, 20% of the advice that I give him, if I'm in that circle, if I have that type of sway, I'm telling Antonio Brown, man, hey, man, go out there and work out, and we're going to videotape every single workout that we do. We're going to bring in a camera crew, and we're going to follow you from the day, from the morning you wake up till the time that you get to bed. And what we're going to do is we're going to show you being responsible. We're going to show you being mature. We're going to show you studying the playbook. We're going to show you down watching film. We're going to show you working out. We're going to show you running path patterns. We're going to show you maybe going ahead and helping old ladies across the street. We're going to go and show you passing out water or food to the homeless. We're going to show you donating blood. We're going to show anything of positivity that we can do. We're going to show you being nice to women. We're going to show you just, even if it's bullshit, even if it's a complete lie in terms of his character, we're going to film every little great deed that you do. We're going to help. Even if that means we're going to, Film you opening up a door for somebody, for a lady. We're going to videotape you saying thank you and you're welcome. Whatever it takes, man, we're going to show you being a decent human being. Because if we can show that, there's still a chance, even at 32 years old, that there is an opportunity for at least for you to try and try to get back with an NFL franchise. At least kind of gauge the, at least maybe pique the interest once all of this nonsense is over with the coronavirus, once teams can start seeing you individually or seeing your workouts individually up close or sitting down and talking to you, whenever it's available to do that, we're going to, these, these coaches, these GMs, and these owners of these football franchises, they're going to have this body 
of what you've been doing for the last two or three months in terms of your character, in terms of how you present yourself as a human being, the way that you treat others, your work ethic, your study habits, your dedication to football, everything that deals with that, we are going to film and we're going to document. This is what I would be telling Antonio Brown to do right now if I was him. Again, especially now, since he's not going to have the opportunity to be meeting with NFL GMs and owners and such because of what's going on with the COVID-19 coronavirus. But instead of doing that, according to Zach uh, Brayler of the New York Post, Antonio Brown is up there, you know, telling it, telling taking shots at Julio Jones and all this other nonsense. He said, tell him, tell Julio to look up the stats. I got more touchdowns than Julio Jones had in the past five years, and I took a year off. This is one on. This was on Instagram Live, saying that he was the best receiver in football and, again, dissing Julio Jones in the process. Why? 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 Again, why? Where does that – if you want to get back in the NFL, if you want the opportunity – to get back into the NFL. Why are you doing this? Why are you making this decision? Why are you? Where does Julio Jones fit in in all this? Who cares? How is this helping you get back to the league? How is this helping you get an opportunity to try to get back to the league? Especially when, again, everything has been so, your, your chances have been limited because of what's going on in this world. Why are you doing this? Why are you making this video? Why are you doing this? Why are you on a video tweeting out or you know, have holding a stack of $60,000 bills up to your ear and asking who's the best receiver in the game. Why are you video tweeting that out? Why is that on busted coverage? What, what's the point? Why? What, what reason? Again, why are you giving anybody ammunition to say this is the reason why we don't want Antonio Brown on our team? I mean, hell, you take a look at the owners for the most part. I'm quite sure... If you, if you ask the majority of folks who follow the NFL, especially around the Antonio Brown age, or maybe if you, even if you ask the players about the majority of owners in the NFL, especially after everything went down with Colin Kaepernick and the kneeling situation, you would say that uh, you know the majority of the owners in the NFL, especially when it comes to the black man, they just don't get it. They're out of touch. They're not aware. They're ignorant towards some of the things that we go through on an everyday basis. The perception is wrong. The stereotype that they have of us is not completely correct. I'm quite sure if you ask the black players in the NFL, that they would probably say some say those things about some of the owners of the NFL. Not all of them, but the majority of them. So if that's the case, Antonio, if your perception of these NFL owners is somewhere around the ballpark of what I just said they're all about, then why are you basically fitting the stereotype that many of them believe that you really are? Why are you doing this? Why are you trying to justify? Why are you trying to uh, basically act the way many owners probably think young black males, especially in the wide receiver position, act? Why are you doing this? Again, why are you not studying? Why are you not in the playbook? Why are you not going on Oprah or somebody, Dr. Phil, I don't know, talk to, why are you not talking to, um, I don't know, somebody in terms of, you know what, I messed up. Why are you not showing contrition? Why are you not showing remorse? Why are you not showing humility? Why are you showing, why are you going the complete opposite? 
Man, sit down and talk to Wendy Nixon. You need to get yourself in front of a white reporter, blonde hair, blue eyes, and sit there with remorse. Take it. If, if you got to act out the remorse, if you got to act out the sadness, if you got to play that game, if it means getting an opportunity to get back into the NFL, hey, man, you're the one that made the best, the bend. You're the one that acted like a fool when you were with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're the one that decided not to treat women with respect and dignity. You're the one that wanted to uh, do all this type of stupidity. That was the bed that you made. Now, I'm sorry. You can't go to the nice bed by somebody else and lay in it. No, 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 no. You lay in the bed that you made because you're not going to get an opportunity to sleep in another person's bed because the one that you made is too fucked up to sleep in. No, 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 no. Your house, your bed, you fix it, you clean it, you get it back together. And the nonsense that he's doing right now, I don't feel any sympathy. I feel sympathy for Colin Kaepernick. And I was critical with the comeback attempt by Kaepernick. Some of the things that went down when he went ahead and had that display for a couple of the NFL teams. Some of it was bullshit. A lot of it was the NFL's part, a lot of it was just folly. A lot of it was never going to, it was just a sideshow. But you know what? Colin Kaepernick didn't help himself at all. Why? Because when you are trying to get in with people of power and you have no power and you have no leverage, then I'm sorry. It sucks. It's terrible. But you have to play by their rules. You have to play their game. When Colin Kaepernick shows up late and then he wants to switch the workout and he comes in with a shirt, that could turn off a lot of these old white guys who are going to be reporting back to the owners of the football team and the GMs of the football team. And you go ahead and do that to make a point. Then I don't, I have to question because Colin Kaepernick is not a dumb guy, but I have to question, are you really sincerely, honestly trying to get back into the NFL? Because what you're doing here, you're not giving yourself any type of, you're not, you're not putting yourself in an advantageous position to get back into the leagues when you're doing this type of stupidity. And as we know, Colin Kaepernick, there's been nothing towards Colin Kaepernick. I understand. I understand because of the, because of the virus and everything that's going around. I understand that things have been topsy-turvy and priorities have been rearranged. So I get it. But, you know, Colin Kaepernick didn't make himself any more desirable by some of the stuff that he did on his maybe one opportunity, regardless if the NFL was, this was nothing but a, a PR ploy or whatever. And the same thing now with Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown has done nothing, nothing to indicate that any team that would require his services as a wide receiver, that they wouldn't be facing the same bullshit, the same nonsense, the same cancerous, type of personality in that locker room that he showed the last couple of seasons when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, his short time with the Oakland Raiders, and his short time with the New England Patriots. So, hey, man, you know what? Antonio Brown doesn't have a job. Don't blame the NFL owners. Don't blame racism. Don't blame any of that. Number one, two, and three, the person that you can blame for what's happening to Antonio Brown, the fact that he's unemployed as an NFL football player, put that squarely on the shoulders of Antonio Brown.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down today. Oh, man. You know what? I hope everybody's being safe, as I mentioned before. Are you going stir-crazy yet, sitting at home? Are you starting to lose it a little bit? I guess it all depends, right? If you're living in a palatial estate, and I guess there's enough rooms, there's enough things that you can do to occupy your time. If you're living, say, in a studio, if you're living in an apartment or something like that, it might the walls might be moving in on you a little bit closer day by day, minute by minute, minute by minute. I'll keep holding on. I'll keep holding on. But uh, so far, I'm holding up. I'm holding up doing well. The last uh, couple of days, I had to take a break from Uber. And man, you know, I'm like making sure social distancing and making sure I'm not around people because I don't know, man. Again, I don't know. I could have COVID-19. I don't know. I have no idea. Right now, I'm of course, I'm not showing any symptoms or anything like that, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I feel fine. It's always funny because, you know, if, say, for instance, if I feel a little bit tired or if I <clears throat> if I cough or I do something like that, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, am I going to get it? Am I having it right now? But uh, as of right now, I'm a little bit tired because I'm just a little bit bored, mainly sitting around the house for the most part. But uh, for the most part, I feel good. I should. I don't know, man. I guess sitting around makes you lazy, right? Because... I should be doing things just to put more podcasts together, but man, just sitting around the house doing nothing is just, it's just I've been just so tired, man. I really, I've just been tired. All I've been doing is sitting around watching a whole lot of clips on YouTube and watching crime and justice shows on the Discovery Channel, I went on investigation channel or whatever that is. I've been watching some episodes of I Dream of Genie. Oh my goodness. Oh man, I'll get I'll bring it back because I want to get to the uh, Cam Newton situation on why he doesn't have a job in the NFL in just one second. But oh my goodness gracious, when I was a kid, you know, watching the reruns of I Dream of Genie, and you know, watching Larry Hagman be Tony Nelson. If you don't know who Larry Hagman is, Larry Hagman is going to go down or is, it went down as one of the you know J.R. Ewing when he was with Dallas, one of the greatest villains or one of the greatest characters and television history so many people know him as this diabolical evil you know mean terrible horrible guy oh my goodness man watch i dream a genie and in between drooling over barbara eaton who is just sexier than i don't know what man larry hagman is the man as major tony nelson i completely forgot watching it as i was a kid how funny tony nelson was or larry hagman was i mean you take a look because I didn't grow up on I Dream of Genie. I watched the reruns, but I did grow up watching Three's Company. And John Ritter and Joyce DeWitt and Christy, uh, Suzanne Summers and Mr. Furley and all of those guys who came in. I mean, you know, growing up, that was my show that I always watched. And it was funny. It was hilarious and such. But then I started watching I Dream of Genie. And it's like, wait a minute, man. Did Three's Company somehow, way, just kind of copy what... Um, what I Dream of Genie was doing without the Genie. Because if you take a look at the characters of Tony Nelson and Jack Tripper, man, those are just completely related, man. Those are just like brothers in terms of their humor, in terms of their physical comedy, in just terms of how they make you laugh. I mean, it's just the same thing. I mean, that show, I don't know who put that show together, but if they're still living, I would love to sit there and say, how much of watching I Dream of Genie did you take from that show and put into Three's Company because you're talking about Tony Nelson, um, Tony Nelson, Jack Tripper, Joyce DeWitt, Jeannie, uh, 
Bill Daly, who was Roger, Tony's best friend. I mean, that was uh, that was Larry, Jack Tripper's best friend. I mean, everything was almost like, okay, put it here, put it there, put it there. Later on, Mr. Furley was uh, Major Nelson, General, I like, forgot the general's name, but man, I've been watching those shows, a couple of shows about I Dream of Genie. I completely forgot how absolutely hilarious that is. I completely forgot how fucking funny Larry Hagman was. That guy was great as Major Nelson, Tony Nelson. It was just, it was just great. And again, the outfits that Barbara Eaton wore, whoo, man, that was, I mean, she's still living, still going strong, but back in her heyday, man, back in her physical prime for that age, boy, was that a good-looking woman. Man, that was a good-looking woman. I mean, you could put down, what, Barbara Eaton and, I guess, uh, Marianne from, uh, Marianne from Gilligan's Island. I mean, those two. Yeah, that was that was some good times. That was that was some good looking. That was some two good looking women back in the day, and both of them are still looking good for their age and still doing well. So there you go. Wendell's World and Sports. Wendell Wallace, the host. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Cam Newton still doesn't have a job. There's still some quarterbacks available, starting quarterbacks from the year of, year before. Some former Heisman Trophy winners, some former number one draft picks still available out there. I went in about Jameis Winston, still doesn't have a job, but you know my thoughts and feelings about Jameis Winston. I still feel that this guy could be a starting quarterback in the league. I still feel that Jameis Winston could be somewhere between a top seven, top 11 type quarterback in this league. I think that Jameis Winston in the right situation with the right coaching could be a guy who could get a team to a playoff and become a threat to win a Super Bowl. Of course, the pieces around them have to be really good, but outside of the elite of the elite quarterbacks, I mean, name me a quarterback who could lead a team to a Super Bowl without any primetime players around them. Tom Brady showed last year with the New England Patriots that even with a great defense, that can't be done if you don't have the weapons and if you're 42 years old and not the same quarterback that you were 10 years ago. But... I mentioned that you put Jameis Winston on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mentioned before that the next great, unbelievable Hall of Famer franchise quarterback identified with this franchise for now or forever. The next quarterback like that to drop from the list in terms of him either retiring or going to play for another team is going to be, I believe, Ben Roethlisberger. I don't think Roethlisberger would play for another team, but I think you're taking a look at maybe two years tops. I think Ben Roethlisberger is going to be seriously thinking about retiring, and I think it's going to get to a situation where, you know what, maybe Roethlisberger and the Steelers, say in the 2021-22 season, might be facing the same dilemma that Tom Brady and the New England Patriots had at the end of the 2019 season in terms of, you know, another season with you on the squad. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. You want to go ahead and do the unthinkable and maybe start looking somewhere else to play? We're not going to stand in your way. Robert Kraft was like, we're not going to stand in your way, Tom. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to plead. I'm not going to throw a boatload of money. I'm not going to bring the whole house to try to get you to stay if you don't want to stay. And Tom was like, you know what? 20 years in New England was great, but time for me to move on and face a new challenge, do something new, leave the nest, leave the home after 20 years. So I think the next great superstar, Hall of Fame, one of the generational best quarterbacks to maybe do the same thing that Tom Brady did or just retire 
is Ben Roethlisberger. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers, I think Aaron Rodgers still has four or five more good years with the Green Bay Packers before he decides maybe to either retire or they decide to divorce the relationship with the team and go their separate ways. I think that Drew Brees is going to end up playing the remainder of his career with the New, uh, the New Orleans Saints, whether that be one or two years. Um, Russell Wilson still has a way to go. And then you take a look at the young bucks like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. They're seem to be going to be staying with their teams for a long, long time. So again, I think the one quarterback, Philip Rivers, already left the Chargers and is now employed with the Indianapolis Colts. So I think this next guy, Eli Manning, retired. So the next quarterback in line to follow what those great quarterbacks did is Ben Roethlisberger. And I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And when you take a look at the quarterbacks that the Pittsburgh Steelers have, if they don't have Ben Roethlisberger, we saw what that was all about last season and the fact that they were a quarterback away from getting themselves into the playoffs. Why not take a chance? Why not bring in Jameis Winston on a one or two year contract minimum deal or somewhat near the minimum deal? Have him sit, learn, patient, grow under the under the uh, Steelers way of things and then give him a situation, give him an opportunity to see what he can do. So that was my whole take on Jameis Winston about, uh, you know, right now, maybe he's still as far as what he's pricing himself as for teams to employ his services, maybe, maybe too high. Maybe once Jameis finds out that, you know what teams are not going to pay him his asking price that he will have to acquiesce and kind to be flexible in terms of what he's going to be bringing to an organization in terms of uh, uh, submitting to being a backup for now or being the guy that's not going to be a starting quarterback or a guy that's not going to be making 15, 20, 25 million dollars a year. As of right now, he's not that quarterback who's in the 20 million dollar range. So maybe once everything starts to get a little bit normal, once the draft is over and once we get closer to hopefully training camp, if we're even going to have training camp, depending upon what's going to be happening in the world today concerning this virus, that Jameis will start to be realistic about his chances and then look for the best opportunity to get back to him being a starting quarterback, just not finding a team that's going to be giving him a guaranteed opportunity to be a starting quarterback, man, because with your Jameis, this is the last chance. I don't know how many more chances. He already blew it in Tampa Bay. So if he goes to another program or another franchise and he bombs out there, then I don't know exactly if he'll ever get the opportunity to become a starting quarterback again without some type of unbelievable circumstances falling his way in the positive for him to be a starting quarterback again. So if that means waiting a year or two and getting the getting ready the best way you know how with the best organization to help you become the quarterback that you thought you were going to be when you came out of Florida State. I think if you look at him, if Jameis looks at it in that situation, the Pittsburgh Steelers would be the best opportunity for him. But then again, you know, it's a tete-a-tete. The Steelers have to be interested in him. And right now, again, everything is kind of in a holding pattern because of what's going on and the restrictions that teams and players and people have uh, in terms of meeting with each other. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that you could be with us. So now we move to Cam, Cam Newton, 31, when the season is supposed to start. As you know, that Cam was released by the Carolina Panthers after they couldn't find anyone willing to trade for him. Wow, that's interesting. 
teams that we could be interested in him. We take a look at the LA Chargers. Tyrod Taylor is projected to be the starting quarterback. I'm quite sure that whether it be Jordan Love or Justin Herbert, that the Chargers are going to be drafting somebody in the first round with their draft pick. So we'll see what happens. Of course, the Chargers have offensive weapons like Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry and Mike Williams, Austin Elker. You take a look at Allen and Williams. They both had a thousand yards receiving last year. And Elker was right there with 993 yards receiving. The Chargers also have cap space. Now, right now, they have about $22 million. And after the 2020 draft is over and they signed everybody that they need to sign, that means it's going to be somewhere around $9.5 to $11 million for them going out and signing Cam Newton. If they want to sign Cam Newton, and if Cam Newton is going to be in the, that's the, ballpark in terms of the salary that he will agree to somewhere around there. So the uh, Chargers would be a, a great opportunity. You take a look at a team like, say, for instance, the Jacksonville Jaguar. Jaguars, who right now have Gardner Minshew and Joshua Dobbs as their only QBs on the roster. You could go there. I mean, there's others. Of course, there's the ones that could be a backup to Dak Prescott in Dallas, maybe be reunited with Ron Rivera, now the coach of Washington, even though they went ahead and they signed uh, the backup for Carolina last year to go in and compete with Dwayne Haskins. Maybe you take a look at a situation that's with the New England Patriots who are looking for a quarterback. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? As I mentioned before, with um, Jack, with a New England, Josh McDaniel is a guy who I don't think would be afraid of taking somebody with the skill set of a Cam Newton when he was with the Denver Broncos, as I mentioned before in a previous podcast, that Josh McDaniels was the guy who moved up in the first round to draft Tim Tebow when it was completely absurd that Tim Tebow would be drafted in the first round of any draft to play quarterback in the NFL or any position in the NFL. But because of the versatility that he presented and that he showed as a quarterback at the University of Florida, that McDaniels thought that uh, maybe he could turn him to the same type of threat in the NFL. Newton is nothing more than just a much, much still, a much, much better version of what Tim Tebow's skill set brought to an NFL franchise. So again, maybe there's a situation where the New England Patriots and Josh McDaniels can go ahead and talk Coach Belichick into bringing him onto the squad. But if you do that, then basically you would have to have him at the starter. And what does that mean for Jared Stenum? So I don't know. I have no idea as of right now. The biggest problem, though, with Newton has been the injury. Some of it has been, I think, overblown, and some of it's been real. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who was coming off of two so, uh, shoulder surgeries. You're talking about a guy who was recovering from Liz Frank surgery that basically ended his 2019 season. You're taking a look at, guy, look at a guy who always seems to be having some type of surgery, having some type of injury. But yet still, when you take a look at his last uh, three of his last four seasons with Carolina, again, he only played two games in the 2019 season. But when you're speaking about him being the starting quarterback from 2016 to 2018, which is three seasons, he started 45 out of 48 games. He threw 65 touchdowns. He threw only 43 interceptions. And he passed for 10,200 yards and completed 60% of his 1,473 attempts. So you take a look at that and you say, okay, maybe the fear of Cam Newton breaking down so suddenly, so dramatically, might not be as strong as a case as many people say that they are. But then again, this is a guy who just, 
I think the accumulations of just injuries, not catastrophic, not potential career endings or anything like that, but I just think the potential wear and tear of the type of game that he plays, the fact that he's not afraid to use that big frame that he has, six foot five, two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty pounds, and athletic freak at the quarterback position when he was in his physical prime back in his early twenties, the fact that that's not that guy anymore. He can't do those things anymore just because of the age and the number of hits that he's taken from the quarterback position and the style that he plays. Since his MVP season in 2015, he's been average as a starting quarterback. He's 23 and 23, including losing his last eight games. And before the 2015 season or leading up, including the 2015 season, Cam was a three-time Pro Bowler. Three times in the first five seasons. You know how many times he's made the Pro Bowl since 2015? Zero. So what are we looking at here? What are we getting at here? Newton? I think when everything is right, I think the Cam Newton now that's going to be starting the second chapter in the NFL, maybe rejuvenated, maybe humbled, maybe a little bit more focused. I mean, it's a whole new attitude. It's a whole new direction you need to take when all of a sudden you're no longer the face of the franchise. And let's be for real here. We're speaking about Carolina in between Washington and in between the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, for that region of the country, North Carolina, South Carolina, we're talking about in terms of football is concerned, the face, the guy, the man was Cam Newton. I mean, you could bring up maybe NASCAR. You could maybe bring up college basketball in that region. You can maybe bring up some bash fishermen. I don't know. But in terms of an athlete is concerned, you would have to put Cam Newton as far as record, you know, as as uh, as, as far as recon- recognition, you would have to put him what no lower than number three or number four, right? If you're speaking about the Carolinas, if you're speaking about that region. So for Cam, definitely now he's gonna have to it's all wherever he lands up. Wherever he ends up, whatever role that he plays, it's going to be be something completely different. He's no longer going to be the big man. He's no longer going to be the BMOC. He's no longer going to be the HNIC. No longer like that. So he's going to, how does he handle that? How does he handle the potential of maybe possibly being a backup? The first time that's happened since he was a sophomore in college behind Tim Tebow. How is he going to deal with that? How is he going to react to that? What type of style is he going to play? How much of being a backup quarterback? You're a backup quarterback, kid. You're not the Cam Newton of 2015, 14, 13, 12 anymore. So you're going to have to be the one that's going to have to adapt to what is going on in the offense more than what the offensive coordinator is going to come to you and say, what do we need to run? What do you like? What plays do you like? That possibility is not there as for the moment right now, Cam, wherever you go, whether it be the Chargers, whether it be the Jaguars, whether it be the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Washington, Dallas, it doesn't matter. New England, it doesn't matter. You're going to have to be more flexible. You are going to have to bend to what they want to do more than what they need to do for you. Now, of course, them having on your team, I'm quite sure that they have a package, that they have a type of philosophy that is more along the alley, along the same vein as what you're doing. But this is not something where the whole organization is revolved around you. They're not going to be drafting. They're not going to be bringing in free agents. They're not going to be building the team around you, again, for the first time in your NFL career. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to deal with that?
that will be interesting going forward. But again, I mentioned before, outside of 2015, 2015 to the present, no Pro Bowls. And we're talking about, man, this is the Pro Bowl where it's almost like how many quarterbacks and how many players bow out and get out of going to the Pro Bowl because of injury, because of whatever. And Cam still couldn't make a Pro Bowl team. Interesting. Interesting. But again, but then again, hey, I think going forward, what? Sign a one, two-year deal? Move forward? Maybe do the Teddy Bridgewater thing? You know? Go ahead, play for a squad that's going to give you an opportunity? We'll see. We'll see. But as of right now, Cam's going to have to learn how to mesh with the team, mesh with the organization. He's no longer going to be the guy with the spotlight squarely on him. He's not the big man on campus. You know, he's not the number one guy. How is he going to deal with that? Moving forward, it's going to be interesting. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. UFC 249, what the wild world of sports is going on with this? Khabib versus Tony Ferguson, what is happening? What is going on? Are we going to get a venue? Are we going to get a site? Is this car still going to be going on? Who's going to be in it? Who's going to be the main event? When can this card start? April 18th is supposed to be the time when the UFC is supposed to be going down with this 249 we don't know though for the fifth time we could be looking at Khabib and Tony Ferguson scheduled to fight but not fighting what is happening Dana White well as of Tuesday March 31st the fight is still on I guess this is according to ESPN's Ariel Hawani Nurmagomedov confirmed that he is stuck in Russia he cannot leave the country due to the coronavirus pandemic he can't leave Russia because the country has closed its borders to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Oh, fuck! <laughs> so, Ferguson has been offered a fight against against uh, Justin Gaethje, but that fight has not been agreed upon or finalized. No, 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 no. Dustin Poirier also got in the mix and said, hey, you know, Dana, if you need someone to fight, Tony, I'm here, I'm there, I'm ready to go. No, man, no, Tony, if I'm Tony Ferguson, no, no, I'm not, I've won 12 fucking fights in a row, I'm fighting Khabib, Khabib or nobody else, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm, you know what, through no fault of their own this time, this time it wasn't an injury to Tony, it wasn't an injury to Khabib, it wasn't some fluky type of injury that happened the last time they were supposed to fight where Tony tripped after doing an interview with somebody and tore up his knee, so... If the fight doesn't go on, it's not because of that. It's just because of some worldwide tem- uh, pandemic that just, you know, I mean, what the fuck? But no, if I'm a Kuyo, if I'm Tony Ferguson, nah, man, I am not I am not fighting anybody else except for Khabib Nurmagomedov. I'm, do what you need to do, man. Do whatever you need to do, Dana, to get Khabib out of Russia. Number one, we don't even know. I, Me, myself, and I, 
I was thinking it was like, all right, there's no way, there's nowhere in the United States, or Indian Reservation, maybe, nah, maybe, possibly, I mean, I don't know of any place, maybe some small town where there's not anybody that's contracted with the virus, I don't know, I was just taking a look because there were like five potential destinations where this fight could take place because it was supposed to be taking place in New York City, but as we know now, there ain't nothing going on as far as conjugating, fighting, any people getting together in New York City with the with the bullshit that they're going through concerning this virus. So you knew right away that it wasn't going to be, that fight wasn't going to be taking place there. So they were talking about Dana White was like, I'm 99.9% positive of a place where we're going to be fighting. The fact that he wouldn't be like, we're going to be fighting here, the, the best chance that we're going to be fighting at this place this time the fact that he couldn't give a specific, like, a place for real was like, all right, he's blowing smoke up our ass. If it was 99.9%, .9%, he would tell us where exactly that fight was going to be taking place. But, you know, speculation was Florida and these other places. I'm just thinking to myself, there is nowhere in the country of the United States, there's nowhere in America where they could put this thing on. There's just none. So my next thought was, okay, so if they hold it overseas, who else? I mean, you can't hold it over in, in Europe, or of course you ain't going to be holding it over in Italy and all those other places, of course. So I thought, what? It, it's got to be some type of dictatorial regime of where, you know, maybe you could put this fight on. Especially if you're talking about over across the pond, because, or over in the European countries, because as we know, could be from Dagestan, and he's a lot more well-known and, uh, and adored and liked than he would be in America, where I think that he has a strong population in terms of those who support him and enjoy watching him fight, but I think the majority of his fan base is located in the European countries because that's where he resides, that's where he, that's where he lives, and that's the, uh, the ethos of who he is, is over, there in the, um, over there in the European countries. So I said to myself, Man, what country, what dictatorial what country with a dictator could possibly go ahead and put on this fight? And it just, like, two plus two equals four, man. It had to be Abu Dhabi, right? I mean, wouldn't you think? We're talking about, you know, a place where human rights really aren't that important. A place where, you know, you've got more money than God. So if they could go ahead and persuade the UFC to fight over there, I'm quite sure you throw enough money in front of Dana White and the people who make the decisions for real that they could get that fight for sure, especially with the situation that I just mentioned before, the history concerning, concerning the two combatants in the main event, Khabib and Tony Ferguson, and not just the history in terms of them trying to get this fight. These guys have been trying to get into the octagon and fight, but for some other reason or not, they haven't been able to get into the octagon and fight. It's just a matter of the fact that these are... Shit, what, two of the top five or six best fighters in the world right now? If you really take a look at it? Finally getting together, deciding the light, the lightweight championship of the world for the UFC. Yeah, you gotta put this. You gotta put this fight on. So I was thinking, all right, it's gotta be Abu Dhabi. It's gotta be Abu Dhabi. But as of right now, we don't know. So I'm thinking, I don't know, man. Look, international relationships. I don't know. I have no idea. So my thoughts and opinions about this right now are based purely solely on ignorance because I don't know. I never dealt with uh, dictator. You know, I never dealt with a regime like the one that they have in Abu Dhabi and such, but I would be thinking if I'm Dana White, it's like, look, man, 
I don't know what type of relationship that you have with the folks over in Russia that would allow Khabib to get out of that country, man. But is there any way, anyhow, anything that you can do to make this happen? Because Ramadan starts later on in April. So if the best case scenario happens and everything is copacetic and ready to go and hip hip parade and miracle that's happened and everything is back to semi-normal by July or maybe August, so let's go ahead and put this fight back on. It's still a situation where Khabib wouldn't be ready to fight because he is he is um, abiding by Ramadan. So he was he's not fighting during the summer. He's not fighting during those forty five days. Period. End of discussion. No, we're, this is not up for a debate. This is not up for the discussion. This is not up for a maybe if. The answer is no, says Khabib. I am not fighting during Ramadan. So. Ramadan starts later on in April, 45 days. Okay, and then, for instance, I mean, at the end of 45 days, I mean, Khabib has to retrain once again. So what, you're going to add another month, month and a half, two months possibly? And this is if everything goes swimmingly well with this coronavirus to where the possibility of people having fights again or the UFC having the ability to hold Fight cards again could happen in July or maybe August. At the very earliest, I think if they don't get this fight done by the 18th of April when it's scheduled, what are you looking at? November? December? Possibly? Maybe? Somewhere around that range for this fight to happen? Now, look, I'll, I'll wait. 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 Because I really want to see Khabib and Ferguson get it on. I do. Naraga Medoff and... Tony need to get this done. They need to settle this. And this could start a really good rivalry. And I've said it before. People are sitting there talking about, well, when is Conor going to get his chance to avenge his loss to Khabib and get the light heavyweight or get the light uh, lightweight championship back? Hold on, Chief. Hold on. Don't be assuming that Khabib is going to walk through or it's going to beat Ferguson. Out of all of the contenders, out of all of the fighters that Khabib has faced, his toughest by far, his biggest challenge by far is going to be Togi Ferguson, not Conor McGregor. Not, mm -mm, no. And if you're talking about a lightweight fight between Ferguson and Conor McGregor, the new, improved, matured Conor McGregor at 155, I'm still going to go with Tony Ferguson. The man's won 12 fights in a row. The man is one of the top three or four pound per pound fighters in the world in terms of from the lightweight division, and just in terms of uh, MMA fighters. This fight needs to be taking place. This is a super fight at the 155-pound division. So, again, going back to the initial, like, well, should he go ahead and fight Gacy, Justin Gacy, who I think would give Conor McGregor a tough time at 155, or even at 170. And I think he would give Khabib and Tony Ferguson a pretty tough time. Another reason why, if I'm Tony Ferguson, I'd, I bypass uh, the opportunity to fight Justin Gaethje. What does it mean? What, so he can take my interim title and then instead of having me fight Khabib, it's going to be Justin getting the opportunity to later on down the road, later on in the year, maybe early next year? No, 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 no. Nope, too big of a risk. So if I'm Ferguson, I stay put and I wait for Nemagomedov. I've beaten everybody. I've won 12 fights in a row. There's no need for me to continue to uh, go ahead and start and, 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 and compete and fight if it's not going to be for the championship. So I leave that alone. The podcast name is Wendell's World of Sports. 
The person who's doing it is me, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Did you see, um, speaking about what's going down with UFC 249, Khabib and Tony Ferguson, did you see the nonsense that Dana White was talking about his comments that he made in an interview with YahooSports.com, Dan Wetzel, about the fight and still wanting to have the fight go on? I, I, I don't know if it's frustration talking. I don't know if it's the fact that, you know what, damn, really? We finally get these two physically ready to go, and now this bullshit happens with the with the pandemic, with the coronavirus, with COVID-19. Now we're talking about I'm losing money. My bosses are losing money. I'm having to deal with all of this bullshit because I have to cancel fights, and now I have to find another place to put on two, uh, UFC 249, and what I'm going to do with the other fights, and what am I going to do with the other cards, and... All of the nonsense. I don't know if all of that frustration, I don't know if everything just came to a head for Dana White to say the ignorant, pathetic, ridiculous, dumbass things that he said during this interview, the privilege that he showed beyond the pale of stupidity, beyond the pale of just, just not, do you realize truly what's going on in this world? Are you so inundated? with what's going on as far as with the UFC and with the fighters and everything else, that you have been completely out of the loop. You completely have no idea of what's going on in the rest of the world and the magnitude of what this virus has done, how strong it's been, how devastating the effects has been on our society and across the globe in our everyday lives. Do you realize? Obviously you don't. I hope that you don't. I hope that your excuses, I, I'm so into trying to put this fight together, I have just been completely oblivious about what's been going on and the effect that this coronavirus has had throughout the entire world. So in this interview, Dana White is sitting there saying to Dan Wetzel, listen, there's people I care about, no, let me see, listen, there's people I care about what they think of me, my employees, my family, my friends. The rest of the people, I don't give a fuck about what you think of me. Now, either it was an expletive. He says, the rest of the people, I don't give a bleep what you think of me. So knowing Dana White, inquired, he probably said, I don't give a shit or I don't give a fuck what you think about me. One thing I do know is I'm not wrong. I know I'm right. I know it's the right thing to do. I promise you this. I promise you this. I'm going to die someday. I don't know how. I don't know from what. But if the coronavirus... But if it's the coronavirus, then what am I what am I going to do? Let's do it. Come on, Corona. What the what the hell? I promise you this. I'm going to die someday. I don't know how. I don't know from what. But if it's but it's but if it's the coronavirus, then what am I going to do? Let's do it. Come on, Corona. What what are we? What 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 is going on here? What are you in a 1980s movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I mean, what what is what kind of bullshit? What kind of commentary is that? So White continued. How long are we going to hide? Are we going to hide for months? What are we going to... Are we, sh are we going to shut down the whole world for months? It's crazy. And then, of course, about being at the event is like, well, I mean, you know what, man, if you have this event data, you know, aren't you going to be putting your fighters and everybody who's there at risk? Well, you know what, said Dana White. I'm, I'm not going to sit back in my house sending people out to do something I'm not willing to do. You know, basically he's like, well, I'm going to be there. So there you go. If I'm going to be there putting my life on the line, then you should too. So then he goes ahead. Then he, then he sits there and talks about, I think he thinks he can be a symbol for all businesses about overcoming challenges. And he says, quote, I'm doing this because it's what should be done. 
It has nothing to do with the money. It's about what needs to happen. Like I told you, I can do distancing forever. People need some normalcy again. We need somebody to be the, be the first guy to step forward and say, hey, come on, guys. Let's snap back and let's get going. Unfucking believable How fucking tone deaf and dumb are these? Basically, how selfish is Dana White? How ignorant and selfish is Dana White to say that? Hey, you know what? I'm going to die someday. So if it's going to be from coronavirus, fuck it. But this guy, you, you realize that if you get the coronavirus uh, data, that you can't spread it on to other people. So if we quote unquote get back to normal, if Dana White lives his life like a normal person and he starts going around and he says fuck social distancing and he wants to go in the crowds and he wants to go in the group, do you realize what danger you put other people in? Maybe people who don't want to die from coronaviruses? Maybe someone who wants to live a little bit longer? Do you realize how stupid and selfish that you sound? Fuck it. If I get coronavirus and it kills me, well then fuck it. That's the way to go. Hey man, if that's your attitude, fine. Have at it. But if you do get the coronavirus, go quarantine yourself and die slow and lonely and alone. So you won't be killing anybody else. Have you checked with society to see if they're okay with this? Because let me tell you something, man. I don't want to die from the coronavirus, okay? I don't. I don't want to die from the I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know how my end of existence on this planet is going to end. Car crash, someone shooting me, someone hitting me upside the head, dying of cancer, dying of leukemia, dying of old age. I don't know. Dying fucking somebody. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be. I don't know if I'm going to die in five minutes. I don't know if I'm going to die in five years. I don't know if I'm going to die in 30, 30 years. I don't know exactly when. But I tell you one thing. If I'm going to go out, if I'm going to die, it damn sure ain't going to be because of the coronavirus. And it damn sure ain't going to be because some asshole who had the coronavirus said, fuck it, I don't give a fuck how I go out. Let me go ahead and put other people in danger. That's one way I will not accept me going out. By going ahead and have some fucking privileged jackass who has the corona disease walk around because he needs to get back to normal. Because he's having cabin fever. Because he's impatient. That's one way I'm not going out. That's one way for me that's unacceptable. No way. No way, no how. And Dana, I tell you one thing. I bet you the majority of folks on this planet, if you ask them, do not want to die by the coronavirus. I'm quite sure. And here's another thing, Dana. If you ask your wife and your kids, I'm kind of hoping that they would say, no, you know what? I don't want my husband or no, I don't want the father of my children to die of the coronavirus if he doesn't have to. That's another thing. The fact that my husband would die from the coronavirus because he tried to put together a fight. No, that's not really the way that I want my husband to go out. That's really not the way that I want to, my, the father of my children to go out. I mean, come on, man. I mean, think about that. How fucking, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable to me. Again, I, I want to see Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov fight. I, I do. I really, really do. As I mentioned before in other podcasts, I don't know. There's no other fight out there that anybody can that anybody can make. There's no super fight out there that anybody can make that can compare with this fight that we have potentially between Khabib and Tony Ferguson. There's not. You, 
Israel Alessania and John Jones, no. Stipe and Daniel Cormier, no. John Jones and Stipe, no. Henry Cejudo and Jose Aldo, no. There's nobody. There's nobody. Jorge Masvidal and Kamara Usman, no. Connor and Jorge, no. Connor and Kamara, no. There's nobody. There's nobody. There's nobody. There's, there's no pairing that can compete, that can approach the level of excitement and intrigue in the UFC or in MMA period that can come close to Khabib and Tony. Nothing. So, fuck yeah, man. I want this fight to go on. I want this fight to happen. If there's any possible way, I will want to see this fight go on. If they have to fight in an empty arena, I will want to see this fight. If they have to fight on an, on a, on a, on, in the open seas on a cruise ship where there's no one around except for the folks filming it, I want to watch it. I want to see it. But damn, I'm sure as hell not going to have them fight if it's going to be risking other people as far as this virus is concerned, and starting with themselves. If this is a situation where there's a chance that Khabib or Tony or anybody from the UFC or anybody associated with this event is going to come down with the coronavirus, no, then it shouldn't take place. It shouldn't take place. Fuck, it shouldn't take place. But you know what? That's, that's life, man. We don't always get what we want. So for Dana White to sit there and talk about, well, you know what? If I'm going to die, fuck it, then who cares? Or the fact that we need to get back to normalcy. Yeah, you know how we get back to normalcy, Dana? By being patient. <laughs> That's how we get back to normalcy. Not rushing things. Because guess what, Dana? And we went by your playbook. Yeah, all right, everybody go back to normalcy. This is bullshit. The coronavirus. We shouldn't be scared of it. Blah, blah, blah. We're Americans. We're Italians. We're Filipinos. We're Asians. We're Mexicans. We're Russians. We can go ahead. We can beat these things. We're Croatians. You know, we're bigger, we're stronger than this virus. Let's say fuck the virus and go back to work and go back to our normal ways and go back to our normal way of life. You know how when something happens, when a tragic event happens, a gunman or a mass shooting, you know, we always get together and say, fuck that, man. We're Vegas strong or we're Dallas strong or we're London strong or we're going to show these assholes, we're going to show ISIS, we're going to show these terrorists that we're not scared of them, that we're not going to be intimidated, that we're not going to back down, that we're going to go out and be our be our normal selves, that this is not going to stop us. You know how we always have that attitude when events like I just mentioned happen? That shit doesn't work with a virus. You can't say, fuck you virus, we're going to do our own thing and then have the virus go, oh shit, in that case, let me go ahead and dissipate and not cause any more harm. No, the virus doesn't work like that. If you actually say that to the virus, the virus says, good, more people to infect, good, the more people get sick, good, the more deaths that happen, good, the more this planet just goes to hell, good, bring it on. It's a fight that you can't win, Dana. You versus Corona, you can't win that fight. I don't give a damn who you are. I don't care if you can turn the gray skies blue. I don't care if you can make it rain whenever you want it to. I don't care if you can turn a castle into, into a single grain of sand. I don't care if you can make a ship sail on dry land. You cannot stop the coronavirus. I can't get next to you, babe. I can't get next to you. Temptations. But basically, you know what I'm saying. You cannot, you have to practice responsibility. You have to practice patience. And yeah, it sucks. And yeah, it's hard. And yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, I get it. I understand it. But damn, do you really want to go through this again? If we go back, if we rush this again and again, do you really want to have the world turn upside down and go back to what we're doing right now and instead of two weeks or two months 
and happen for eight months or 10 months or a year? Do you really want to see, instead of hundreds of thousands of people dying, do you really want to see instead millions of people dying? Well, Dana, guess what? That's what's going to fucking happen if we come back too early and we rush back or we take your advice and just say, fuck it, come on, guys, let's get back and let's get going. That's what's going to happen, Dana. That's exactly what's going to happen. So in your fervor to try to go ahead and start this fight or to get this fight on, Tony and Khabib, your comments are making you sound out of touch, tone deaf, and idiotic, and selfish, and privileged, which is just unbelievable to me. Think, Dana, think again. I don't think there's an MMA fan. And unfortunately, the fact that because of this virus, because of what's been going on in the world, we really even hadn't had the chance, the opportunity to really build up this fight. I mean, I would have loved to see the last two weeks before this fight started to have ESPN get a hold of it and start promoting this fight the way it should be promoted. And having the countdown to UFC 249 and all of those things. Man, it was going to be, I mean, you're, you're just talking about, mm. I mean, even just thinking about it just gives me that, like, yeah, let's go. Let's get this going. But unfortunately, hey, you know, life happens. And we just have to be smart. We just have to be responsible. And we just have to be patient. And for you to sit up there and talk about, you know, if I'm going to die, then if it's by the coronavirus, then fuck it, let's go. It's just the, it's just the utmost of offensive and ridiculous and, and, and just absolute being ridiculous. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Before we go to my break, John Jones, John Jones, John Jones, John Jones. Mm. The ever-going saga of John Jones, man, boy, I tell you. <sighs> well, according to a representative, if you don't know, let me explain exactly what happened to the greatest, U the greatest UFC fighter that's ever lived, still reigning as one of the top two or three pound-for-pound -pound greats in the world today. According to a representative from the Albuquerque Police Department, Jones was arrested in New Mexico for alleged aggravated DWI. I think now he's pled to, I think he's entered a plea deal, or I think something happened where he's not going to be sending any more jail time, or he's not going to be doing any jail time. Thank you very much, UFC. But Jones was arrested uh, last Thursday for alleged aggravated DWI and negligent use of a firearm. Jones, who was charged with possession of an open container and no proof of insurance, was released from custody later that Thursday morning. Now, according to the criminal complaint, an Albuquerque police officer responded to the sound of a single gunshot around 12.58 a.m. this past Thursday. The complaint stated that the officer saw a black Jeep with a man inside the vehicle in the driver's seat identified as Johnny Jones and another person outside the vehicle by the passenger side door. I would almost be, I mean, I hate to say this because John Jones is a grown man. He's a father, and I don't know if he's a husband or not, but I know that he's a father of children. But if I'm the UFC or anybody associated with John Jones, it's like, wait a minute, man, you're the driver? How could you let this man get himself into that much trouble? How in the world could you get pulled over at 1 o'clock? You're supposed to be babysitting this guy. How in the world did you get him in trouble like this? Again, John Jones is a grown man. But, so what the officer wrote, he saw an open bottle of alcohol behind the passenger seat and said that Jones said he did not know where the gunshot sound came from. Which 
Another officer was called, and after a completion of a DWI investigation, Jones was placed under arrest per the complaint. So the UFC issued a statement saying that it was aware of the situation and had been in contact with Jones' management team and is currently gathering additional information again to fast forward this story. Uh, Jones again pleaded, basically, I'm sorry, and he's not going to be getting any jail time. That's the that's the the most important thing is that John Jones will still be on track to fight whenever he's going to be fighting. So, of course, the conversation after all this points to with the UFC and John Jones. What disciplinary action should the UFC take with John Jones? And I say nothing. I don't say. I say that the UFC shouldn't do anything, man. The UFC should make sure that whoever John Jones fights next for the light heavyweight championship, just hope and pray that he gets to the event and he gets there and he gets ready to fight. That's the only thing, you know. Well, you know, good. I mean, you know, you know, the old, the old deals. Usually, complaints like this come from folks who really don't know too much about sports, or come from the sport, or are somehow upset or jealous that athletes get preferential treatment and everything. And then they always use the, well, it was, if it was me, the place where I was working, and if this happened to me, I bet you I would be fired. This and the other. Well, that might be true. Maybe if that's the case, maybe you should try to look for another job. Because I tell you one thing, wherever you're working, whatever your profession is, whether you're working at a bank, whether you're working as a ditch digger, whether you're working as a Uber driver, whether you're working as a CEO for a Fortune 500 company, if you're really, really good at your job, if you're extremely good at your job and you're very, very valuable to the company that is hiring you, believe me, if this happened to you, if you got pulled over for a DWI, your company would not be firing you. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. John Jones is one of the biggest names in the UFC. He's one of the biggest names in MMA. He's the greatest fighter who's ever lived, and he's still somewhat near his prime as a fighter. The UFC would be absolutely stupid to let this man go. Well, he needs help. Hey, John Jones does need help, but that's not the UFC's problem. The UFC is a business. It's an organization. They got to put on fight. They own the business. They're not a Betty Ford clinic. They're not Dr. Phil. They can't go in here. I mean, maybe they can say, you know what, John? Maybe you should try getting some help. I mean, juice. <laughs> I mean, have you thought about maybe getting some help? I mean, I mean, I know a guy who knows a guy who might be able to help you out. But for the UFC, their business is to make money. Their business is to entertain the fans. Their business is to, again, make money. And guess what? John Jones makes money. And guess what? In the economy that's going to be coming up when everything is over with this coronavirus, COVID-19 deal, the UFC is going to need some people employed in their business to make them some money. And John Jones is one of the few people in that co- in that company that makes them money. In fact, it's almost to the point where the more John Jones fucks up and, mess- and messes up, the more popular and more intriguing that John Jones becomes. So what, you're going you're gonna to cut John Jones? We can have you do this. We got to let you go. No. No, they tried that already. When John Jones got in real trouble a few years ago, and he was facing jail time, yeah, the UFC stripped him of his title. When he was banned a couple of times for failing a, a PED test, when he fought Cormier, and he was banned for two to four years. I mean, what more do you want the guy to do? What more do you want the UFC to do? You cut your nose and spike your face? There you go. You're gonna let you're gonna get rid of John Jones. Where the fuck are you gonna do that for? Did he kill somebody? Did he maim somebody? 
Did he injure somebody? Did he commit a felonious act, a criminal act, which is going to cause him to do some jail time? Did he do some harm amongst his children or, or some female? Did he do something which is, again, is which is going to acquire him to do jail time? No, then what the big fucking deal? Let's get him up. Let's get him back to trading and let's get him back in the octagon. John Jones needs to be fighting every three to four to five months, man. Downtime does not do well with John Jones. And we're talking about a guy who lives in fucking Albuquerque, New Mexico. We're not talking about a guy who lives in Vegas or LA or Chicago or New York or Miami. What the hell can you do in Albuquerque, New Mexico that's going to get you in this amount of trouble? Albuquerque? Where else are you going to move to? Needles, California? Where else can you move to that's so boring as Albuquerque, New Mexico, where you can keep yourself out of trouble? What place is next? St. George, Utah? Mesquite, Nevada? Hagerstown, Maryland? Warrensburg, Missouri? Jeez, man. We're running out of places to send this guy where he's not going to be getting himself into trouble. But again, what are you going to do with them? You're going to do nothing. You're going to say, all right, man, you know, I, I, you know what, what can the UFC say? I'm quite sure his brother, let's talk to him, brother. I'm quite sure his family members have talked to him, anybody associated, anybody that John Jones cares about. I'm quite sure they've talked to him. What Dana White is going to do that's going to turn his life around? What representative from the UFC is going to talk to John Jones all of a sudden have John Jones go straight? Nothing. Daniel Cormier is talking about the UFC needs to help John Jones. The UFC doesn't need to help John Jones. The UFC needs to make sure that they can put great fights together once this pandemic is over. Once we're able to go ahead and put together UFC fights, they need to put together the best fights available, especially with the rates that they charge for the pay-per-view. They need to make sure that they put together really good fights. If you have a crappy product, you can't sit there and say, yeah, but we're doing great by John Jones. We got John Jones some help. So I know our pay-per-view card for $80 suck, but uh, hey, at least we're doing right by John Jones. Do you think the public's going to accept that? No. No, John Jones is a grown fucking man. John Jones is also... I said the same shit about Ronda Rousey. I said the same damn thing with Ronda Rousey. When she was sitting up there, when Holly Holmes did everybody a favor and kicked her, basically kicked her fucking head off down in Australia, and then she went on Ellen. Quite the pathetic act of sitting there going, hey, you know, for a quick second after I lost this fight, I... I've been thinking about killing myself because, I mean, what am I without the belt? Who's going to like me? Who's going to who's going to be my friend and all this kind of bullshit? You know what you expect from some type of troubled twelve-year-old? That mentality, you know. And Ellen giving her the tissue. Oh, oh my goodness! I feel so far sorry for you. I would have been like, bitch, what the fuck are you talking about? Get the fuck out of my face! You're rich beyond everyone's wild belief. You've got avenues to go down in terms of getting help that no one else has. You can leave your job for six months to a year to get yourself some help and still be fine. You're never going to have to worry about a paycheck again. You're never, you're, unless you're a complete fucking idiot, you're never going to have to worry about paying bills. You're never going to have to worry about losing your money. You're never going to have to worry about being homeless. You're never going to have to worry about putting a roof over your head. You're never going to have to worry about if you have children, giving them a great life. You're never going to have to worry about any of that stuff. And you're sitting up there expecting me to be sympathetic for you because you lost a fucking UFC fight? And you're sitting up there with the mentality low enough? You're so... You're so pathetic of a, of a human being that you're sitting up there telling me that for a second, just for a second, of course, because we don't want this to be a lingering problem. She's sitting up there talking about, oh, you know what, for a quick second. Oh, thank goodness, only a quick second. I thought about killing myself because who's going to like me? What the fuck are you talking about? 
damn bitch, get some help or grow up or do both. That's the same thing that they should give John Jones. John Jones came up there and started talking about, I need help with this, that, the other. Man, you're John fucking Bones Jones, man. Don't give me some bullshit. You need some help, go get some help. You've got family members who love you. You've got enough money to where you could go take as much time as you need to go ahead and, and clean yourself up, straighten yourself up, straighten out your life. You have multiple, multiple, multiple options for what you can do to turn your life around, to clean up your mess, to straighten up, to grow up, to beat your demons, all of those things. You have the you have abundance of resources to go ahead and do that. And if you don't do that, then that's your fucking stupidity. That's your fault. It's not the UFC's fault. It's not Dana White's fault. It's not those who buy your pay-per-view's fault. No, it's none of our faults. It's your fault. Your fucking fault. So I, I, when it comes to the relationship in terms of what do they need to do with John Jones in terms of this particular incident, hey, the law already said what, what went down. Here he is, mom, dad, brother, sister, mother of his children, aunt, grandmother, grand, somebody, somebody who he respects, somebody who he loves, somebody whose relationship he cherishes. Y'all need to talk to him because if it was just as easy as the UFC saying, hey, you know what, next time you screw up, we're going to kick you out of the UFC, then I'm quite sure possibly that if it was that easy for John Jones to turn his life around, then the UFC would have done that years and years and years and years and years ago. When he first started getting himself into this bullshit of this, this, this trouble. John Jones is not some fucking 13 year old kid, you know? And Hey, look, the man won the title when he was 24 years old. Okay. Or when he was 23, 22 years old, uh, amazing, unbelievable rise. I mean, this was a guy starting the decade of his twenties. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know where his next meal was coming from. I mean, this was a guy who was living a paycheck to paycheck. This was just John Jones. Who gives a fuck? Who cares? John Jones. There's a million people named John Jones. I don't know him from the other 999,000 John Jones in this world. And I give a less, I care less about him. So why do I give a fuck about John Jones? So he started off his twenties in that mode. And all of a sudden he became an international superstar. He became a star of the UFC by beating up, destroying Shogun Hua. So, hey, man, I get it. 23, 24 years old, you all of a sudden get fame, you get temptation, you get all those things, you're going to screw up. It would be nice if you didn't, but in a situation, it's like, damn, man. So when he you know, put his Bentley around a utility pole in Binghamton, New York, on May 19, 2012, when he was 24 years old and was taken into custody, in custody when he was taken into custody by police after refusing a sobriety test and the crash got left two people, you know, injured and all those type of things. One of them was a female that wasn't his girlfriend. And later he pleaded guilty to DUI. It's like, all right, man, you know, you're 24 years old. All of this stuff came down, this, that, and the other. I mean, the, what happened in 2015 when Jones was involved in a hit and run in Albuquerque that injures a pregnant woman, driving the other vehicle and Jones turns himself into police hours after initially fleeing the scene. Dumb, bad decision, poor decision, which caused the USC to enact some disciplinary action to strip him and suspend him indefinitely. Strip him of his title and then suspend him indefinitely from fighting. So the UFC did do something. The UFC did do something to help. 
So you would think possibly at that time that maybe that would have been something for John Jones to say, ooh, gee, maybe I should kind of like uh, kind of slow my roll a little bit. Maybe I should grow up. Maybe I should do something. Maybe I should get some help. Maybe I should, I don't know, do something because my livelihood is je being jeopardized because I'm suspended indefinitely by the UFC. And this is when John Jones was hot. This is when John Jones arguably was the hottest fighter outside of Anderson Silva possibly in the UFC. I mean, that was the time of what Randy Couture, maybe Chuck Liddell was on the uh, was on the outs. Uh, Rampage Jackson, Rashad Evans, yeah, you know that, that and the other. Tito Ortiz was going by that time. B.J. Penn was still around, but I mean, you know, really not really much. Uh, the heavyweights at the time really weren't that the really really weren't that great. So John Jones at this time, I mean, he was the guy. He was supposed to be the guy that UFC was going to hitch their wagons to to bring them into prominence. So for them to suspend John Jones at that time, that's big, that's huge, that's responsible, that's a good move by the UFC. Still didn't straighten them out. So what disciplinary action are you going to take now, now that he's, what, 30-something years old? What's, what, what action can you take now? You can't take any. And if I'm the UFC, I'm just like, you know what? As long as you didn't kill nobody, good enough for me. Good enough for us. So... John Jones, get some help, do something. But I'm taking a look at some of his pattern here. I'm taking a look at some of the stuff. September of 2015, he pleaded guilty to a charge of leaving the scene of an accident involving injury. He's sentenced to 18 months of supervised probation. October 15, 2019, four years, around four years later, he pleads no contest to a reduced charge of disorderly conduct, conduct for his behavior at a strip joint. Under the terms of the plea deal of Jones is not arrested or found to have violated the law in the next 90 days, the case would be dismissed. So he didn't get himself in any trouble because this is the newest one. And of course, we can also document the failed drug tests that has caused him to miss years off of his prime in terms of him being a fighter. So taking a look at the pattern here of John Jones and when he gets in trouble. So we're talking about 2015. We're talking about 2012, then 2015, then 2019. So we really shouldn't be looking for John Jones to get arrested or do, or do something stupid again with the law until sometime around 2022, 2023, something like that. So, hey, you know what? At least we got another four years. By taking a look at this pattern, as long as he doesn't fail any more drug tests, which is huge, but at least let's look on the bright side. John Jones has gotten all the stupidity in terms of dealing with the law. If we take a look at his track record, if we take a look at his pattern, again, looks like he won't be getting in any trouble until around the 2022 calendar year. Who knows what's going to be happening by then? Shit. The country that I live in, motherfuckers out here are so fucking stupid that they reelect the motherfucker that's in the White House right now. We might not even have a 2022. Or at least let's put it this way. By the year 2022, if we elect the stupid motherfucker that's in the White House right now, half the population might be wiped out or in hospitals. Or, or just be dead. So, leave John Jones alone, man. Let him do what he needs to do. And again, if John Jones can fight, John Jones is a guy who's going to be able to fight. Put him in there. I've always, it's always comical to me where people are sitting there and they always do this with athletes. Well, you know, DUI and you know he's went to jail and all these type of things. He needs to lose. He needs to be off this football team, or he doesn't need to be playing in the NBA again, or he should never play baseball again. You know, with the PED scandal, he should never play baseball again, or you know he did something too uh, 
He did something outside of the ball field or the playing field. These guys need to never be able to fight or to play basketball or to skate or to do anything again. Okay, well, man, if that's the, if that's the case, what do you want them to do? If John Jones, if they say, you know what, fuck it, man, this is a privilege to fight and you've jeopardized this and you've screwed it up and you've messed it up so many times that you're never going to be able to fight in a UFC or Bellator or anywhere again. That'll show you. That'll straighten you out. What the fuck do you think John Jones is going to do without fighting? What do you think John Jones is going to do unemployed without the possibility of doing something that he knows how to do best? What do you think that guy is going to do? Without, without any type of supervision, without any type of goal, without any type of, okay, I need to be ready, I need to train, without any type of discipline in his life to train and get ready for a fight, what the hell do you think John Jones is going to be as a citizen? Do you want to live next to him under those conditions? Do you want to be driving in the same car as John Jones in those situations? Do you want to be a female in the strip joint in those situations? Do you want to be pregnant driving along the road with John Jones in the condition that he would be in? If he's not allowed to fight, if he's not allowed to make a living, if, he, if he's not allowed to do what he loves and do what he does best, that's what you want from these guys? Jeez, man. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. So I just, for people who say that, again, well, if it was me, I would, I would have lost my job. Well, either then you're really bad at your job and you're not very valuable to your employer, or maybe you need to look for another job. Maybe those are the two. For those who whine and complain about, oh, athletes get the... Athletes are so privileged and they get this, that, and the other because of what they do. You should be an athlete then. But you know what? Blame blame Jesus Christ or blame the Lord or blame Allah or blame Brigham Young or blame Baha'i or blame whoever, Allah, whoever. Blame blame your Lord or whoever that you praise and give glory to. Criticize him. Ask him, why didn't, why didn't you make me 6'8", 250 pounds and have me be able to jump out of the gym and become a genius at basketball? Why didn't you make me six feet four and two hundred thirty four pounds and be able to throw a football? Why didn't you make me six foot two and be able to hit a baseball? Or why didn't you make why didn't you make me five foot eleven, left handed, and be able to throw a nasty curve and a and a, and a fantastic changeup to go along with a hundred two mile per hour fastball? You know, blame 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 the Lord above, blame Allah, blame Baha'i, blame whoever you who you give praise to. Don't be sitting up there blaming John Jones or anybody else. Accept it, deal with it, and enjoy the fact. Enjoy the fact that you get an opportunity to see these guys fight, shoot, pass, tackle, whatever. Just give thanks that you're able to watch these guys perform the way they're performing. World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Moving now to the NBA. I'm going to get a little bit more NBA-centric in my next podcast. Basically, I know you got the NFL draft that's coming up. The NFL is saying, nah, man, 20th, April 20th through the 23rd. We're running this bad boy. 
Okay, I get it. I understand, but I haven't talked about the NBA in a little bit, and I want to get into a little bit more NBA. So my next podcast, which is going to be in the next couple of days, because sitting around the house, I'm going to see what I can do. Stop being so damn lazy, Wendell, you worthless, pathetic son of a bitch. <laughs> get out there and uh, see what you can do about putting a podcast together and stop playing Lumosity five hours a day and stop watching Bill Curtis shows and stop driving around when you get bored, social distancing, and stop trying to make a few extra bucks by Ubering and stop sitting around the airport waiting for folks to get off the airplane so you can make some money over at McCarran for three and four hours a day and stop sleeping so much and stop just lounging around the house, stop doing all those things and concentrate on putting together a podcast for your wonderful, beautiful people who listen to your podcast. Get together, put together something that's strong, put together about the NBA. You know how much you love your NBA. You know how much you miss the NBA. You know, talk about what's going on. Do your research, do your homework, and uh, put together something in the next couple of days. So I'm promising you right now, I promise I'm going to, you know what else I was supposed to be promising? I was also supposed to be promising a situation where I saw a documentary. It was on Showtime a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it was even before the virus hit. And I watched it, and I was so moved, and it was so great, and it was just like got my head just like thinking of ideas and got the discussion passion button in me pushed down to the, pushed down to the ground. It was about Motown. And uh, it was about, you know, um, the rise and the fall and the artists of Motown and Barry Gordy and how all that worked and Diana Ross and the Supremes. And I watched that and I was so moved and I was so energetic. It was just like, because, you know, for me, I'm an Atlantic guy, Atlantic Records, you know, uh, Otis Redding, Ray Charles, Sam and Dave, Stax. I love that era of music. I love it. Starting off with Sam Cooke and maybe even going back to Ray Charles and all of that good stuff. I loved it. So I've always been intrigued. I just wish, I mean, most of them folks are dead now. But Barry Gordy isn't. Smokey Robinson isn't. Booker T. Jones isn't. Steve Cropper isn't. James Stewart doesn't do any interviews. He's the guy for Stacks. And, you know, a lot of folks on Chess Records, they're all long gone. And James Brown is gone. And I, I would just, if I could do one documentary, if I could get Ken Burns to do just one documentary, I would love just to, and I'll go back to the NBA in just a second. I would love to do a documentary about what it was like to be an artist from Stax and Atlantic and Chess Records and working with James Brown and just the black entertainers from the late 50s from when, when rock and roll really took, really took hold before white folks stole it and brought it over there and dummied it down and cleaned it up and made it worse. But we're talking about rock and roll, rhythm and blues, soul music, that era. But we're talking about Ray Charles and Solomon Burke and Wilson Pickett and Benny King and Sam Cooke and Jackie Wilson and the Four Tops, Motown, Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Rufus Thomas, all of these, Marvin Gaye, all of these unbelievable acts. Because of the racism and the segregation of this country, I mean, we couldn't go ahead and, you know, the Beatles were not going to be touring with the Motown group or the Beatles weren't going to be able to tour with James Brown or 
any uh, or any Atlantic records, or same with the Rolling Stones, or same with the Mamas and the Papas, or the same with the Beach Boys. And I know that the music was completely different, or you know, Elvis when he came back, he wasn't going to have an opportunity to tour with any the Black Axe. Number one, because the Black Axe would put him to shame, and number two, we're speaking about at a time where segregation was prevalent. So we're talking about also um, uh, legalized segregation. So you go down south, you go certain places. Couldn't mingle. Couldn't have a show in Alabama or Mississippi or Louisiana or Florida or Texas or Arizona or any place where you're talking about you have white acts and black acts. You couldn't do that. So because of that, you had these black acts that went down to the Howard Theater and the Chitlin Circuit. And you had all of these places for the black artists of that time to perform for a black audience. You had Jackson Street down on the west side of Las Vegas. You had the Howard Theater in Washington, D.C. You had the Apollo in yeah, the Apollo in uh, New York City. You had the uh, the Regal, I believe it was in Chicago. So you had all these unbelievable, fantastic places where these black artists could go ahead and perform and do their thing. And it's just like, you know, because you had, when Motown went out, they had the Motown Review. So they had their own acts. But, you know, they were still when they would disperse and do their gigs and do their shows and stuff, they would still interact and mingle with other artists from other record labels. So I'm just thinking, man, to have a build where you would have Marvin Gaye or Otis Redding, you know, you'd be down at the Apollo Theater and you would have James Brown, Otis Redding, Jackie Wilson, the Marvelettes, Diana Ross is the Supremes, Joe Tex, Ray Charles, whatever. I mean, Sam, Sam, whatever, whatever. Just to have those unbelievable acts. I would just love to have a documentary of just like, man, what was the relationship between, say for instance, the Supremes and Etta James? Or what was the relationship between Motown artists and, and, and Stax artists? Or what was the relationship, I mean, between Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye or Aretha Franklin and, I don't know, Aretha Franklin and James Brown or Sam Cooke and Jackie Wilson or Little Richard and, you know, I would just to have those type of relationships, just to have those type of people talk about those memories or go, I would love, absolutely love to see a documentary done about that, that would be awesome that would absolutely fucking be awesome I love myself some documentaries being cooped up in here, that's all I've been watching so far, documentaries can't tell you how many doc, crime and justice documentaries I've watched, I don't know how many times I've watched the Netflix Sam Cooke and um, Ted Bundy uh, um documentaries on Netflix and Quincy Jones and and uh, John Coltrane and Miles Davis and I've been doing nothing but watching a whole lot of documentaries one of the reasons why I haven't put out so many I haven't put out the amount of podcasts that I wanted to because instead of working and doing what I need to do I'm being lazy instead I'm watching shows about the Motown and watching shows about you know, the presidents of the United States back in the night, uh, back in the 18th and 17th, well, not 17th century, but back in the 18th century. And I'm watching, watched the other day about Benjamin Franklin, watched that documentary and all this other stuff, which just trying to, you know, find it interesting and need to uh, kind of put that to the side just a little bit and spend a little time to uh, get together and put together a podcast because it's been too far in between, too infrequent for my liking with the podcast that I put out. I know they're longer than most, but uh, hey man, as you can tell, when I get going, I get going. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. 
So glad that you could be with us. All right. Um, the NBA. Here's what I wanted to get into. I saw this story and I was just like, hmm, this is interesting. There was a story that came out that the Memphis Grizzlies owner, Robert Perra, inquired last summer about moving the franchise. This was reported by Ronald Tillery, who previously covered the Memphis Grizzlies for the commercial appeal. Appear, appeal! Blah. And he said that Perra inquired, inquired about moving the Grizzlies last August. Not totally clear what that meant in terms of selling or moving, relocating, or both. What could be going on with that, but... Cooler had prevailed, I guess. And the situation, I guess, down in Memphis is the fact that, you know, this is a guy who, he ain't from Memphis. And if you take a look at him, he's a young cat. Um, doesn't look like a a, myth, a guy who is a myth, myth, what do you call it? A Methonian, Methonian, whatever it's called. He doesn't look like he's a native of Memphis. So he looks like a guy who really doesn't have any type of ties or allegiance to the city. So for him to move the team, and really, if you take a look at Memphis, Memphis is a college basketball town more than anything else. If you ask if you ask most of the citizens down there, the residents, the locals, the natives, who they care more about, the Memphis Tigers or the Memphis Grizzlies, well, I'm quite sure the majority of them is going to say are going to say the Memphis the Memphis Tigers, the college basketball team. For the most part, Memphis, I mean, you had the grit and grind with Lionel Hollins and Zach Randolph. It's a, I think it's a good blue-collar Small market basketball, pro basketball city. I don't think it rivals Salt Lake City. I don't think it rivals Portland. I don't think it rivals, well, Indiana is a little bit bigger of a city. But I mean, when, when you're talking about those type of cities, you know, where the it basically dominates in terms of the professional sports. Utah doesn't have another professional sports team. Portland doesn't have another professional sports team. Maybe someone like a Sacramento. Oakland is too far for Sacramento to claim the Raiders, especially now since they're, since they're moving to Las Vegas. But, you know, the Oakland A's or, the, or, the, or that type of thing, they're more with the San Francisco area. So you're talking about the 49ers and the Golden State Warriors and such. So also Sacramento. So you take a look at those small one-sport professional franchise markets like Sacramento, Portland, Salt Lake City, Memphis. You know, we're speaking about, I would say Memphis would probably come in fourth. And that's mainly because just we're speaking about pro basketball. Really, if you compare it with those guys, it really hasn't, Memphis really hasn't had the success or the longevity or the history. They don't have the history that the Portland Trailblazers had with them winning the 1976-77 title over the Philadelphia 76ers with Bill Walton and Jack Ramsey and Bob Gross and those guys. You don't have the situation with the Utah Jazz where they had that run with Carl Malone and John Stockton and the teams that went to the finals and battled Michael Jordan back in the 90s. They don't have a team like, say, for instance, Sacramento Kings that had that squad with White Chocolate, Jason Williams, and Pedro Stoyakovic and Vlade Divac and Mike Bibby and Bobby Jackson and Chris Webber who pushed the Lakers as hard as anybody pushed them during that Lakers dynasty was Shaquille and Kobe back in the day. So Memphis doesn't have those type of things that they can build a foundation on for Robert Perra if he got a better deal to say, I'm out of here. And really, really, if you think about it, and I hate to say this, I'm quite sure it happens. You're a fan of the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm sorry, but if I'm the NBA do I really want a team in Memphis anymore? Or would I rather have a team, say, in Vegas? Or would I rather have a team, say, in Seattle? 
I always thought that if the NBA wanted to quote unquote move a franchise, and look, look, I mean, you know, you can't tell an owner to move a franchise. You can't tell Robert Perry. I mean, the guy's a billionaire. You can't. Dana Silver can't come up to him and be like, "Yeah, you're moving," or any of the other owners. It doesn't work like that, especially when you're speaking about the lease that the Memphis Grizzlies have with the uh, with the arena that they play in now. I think their lease is to run through 2027. It could be broken. I mean, you know, money talks and everything else walks, but would you do that to the fan base? What type of perception would that be? What would that look like for the league PR-wise to sit there and basically force an owner to move his team, to relocate his team? Mm, it'd be interesting. I wish you could, because there's a few franchises that really don't need NBA basketball teams. Memphis. There's a few teams that really, there's few cities, there's a few cities that really don't need an NBA basketball team, New Orleans, or at the very least, I think there's other markets that would support a basketball team with more fervor and more passion than what I've seen in Memphis and New Orleans. I mean, when Zion Williams came back, I still saw a stadium, I still saw an arena that was half, half empty. This is always going to be, if you're in New Orleans, this is always going to be a New Orleans Saints town. And really, is Louisiana, when you're speaking about basketball, is it really necessary? Is it really ever going to support an NBA basketball team if it's not winning championships after championships and having a transcendent star like maybe a, a Michael Jordan or a Magic Johnson or something like that? I mean, that could be Zion Williamson, but I'm with a, with a prospect like that for the NBA. Would you rather see him playing the majority of his career in New Orleans, Louisiana? Or would you rather see him playing him in Las Vegas, Nevada? Or maybe Seattle, Washington? So, if I'm the NBA, and I know I went off on a tangent with uh, the New Orleans basketball team because I thought they should be gone. I know Gail Benson, who inherited the team from um, from the uh, from her husband. And the only reason why Tom Benson even decided that he was going to buy the New Orleans at the time Pelicans, they're still the Pelicans, but the only reason why that he was going to purchase the Pelicans or buy the Pelicans because there was talk that, you know, they were going to be leaving town. And Tom Benson being a strong supporter in the community of New Orleans said, no, that's okay, I'm going to take it. I'll take it. If no one else wants to buy it, I'll buy it. But that wasn't his first love. He was the owner of the New Orleans Saints. That's his main love. That's his main deal. That was his main deal. The whole Benson family, that was... That's their main deal is the football team, not the basketball team. So if Gail Benson is only holding this team out on to uh, New Orleans because of charity, I'm quite sure the NBA swoops in and offers her, I don't know, a couple of billion dollars. <laughs> Maybe that will be the uh, situation where she might say, mm, yeah, okay, sounds good to me. Uh, you know, NBA, take it away. But um, yeah, especially in this situation, we don't know what the economy is going to look like. We don't know. Once this pandemic is over, once everything is, I don't know, is anything ever going to get back to normal in this country, in this world, after what we've been through with this virus? Well, how long is it going to take for the U.S. economy, for the world economy to recover? Years? Months? We don't know. We don't know. So you take a look at some of these owners and you take a look and say, is it time right now for me to sell when everything gets back to normal? I mean, I'm quite sure, especially with this whole doggone China situation with Daryl Morey stuck his, stuck his big nose in. I mean, the NBA the is going to be hurting a little bit because of that. And if they cancel the playoffs, 
You're talking about TV money that they're going to owe. They're going to be talking about lost revenue from um, the playoffs and the, the money that comes from that. If you're, an NFL, if you're an NBA owner and you're not really loving the sport, I mean, I don't know. Any investors? Any takers? Possibly. I don't think the Memphis owner, Robert Perry, is going to sell the team. But, you know, if he's having some problems in one of the smallest markets, I mean, hey, if you're Seattle, don't you say come on down? We know that they'll support that team. We know that there's a strong history. It's almost It would almost be like when the Baltimore Colts, when Robert Ursay took the Baltimore Colts away from Baltimore and moved them up to Indianapolis. You know, it was a situation where Baltimore had to wait a long time before they got themselves an expansion team. But you knew the city of Baltimore was going to support a professional football team. They had done it for decades. You know they use that comparison with the Seattle market. They're not going to be getting an expansion team, especially the way the economy is going to be looking. I don't think the NBA, if they expand, they're going to, have to expand too to keep everything even, to keep it on an even in terms of the number of teams that are in the league. So if you expand one, you have to expand two teams or two places. But if any team out there, if there's any market that deserves an NBA basketball franchise, it's the Seattle-Washington market. They've shown that they will support an NBA basketball squad. So if I'm the NBA, I gauge. I gauge them. I, I call up Robert Perry. I'm like, what's up, man? You looking to possibly? I mean, because we could really use a team in Seattle-Washington, so what's your attention? Now, he may say, you know what, man? I'm cool, and um, I like it here in Memphis. I want to make this work in Memphis. I don't want to leave Memphis. The NBA would be like, all right. The sure there's not anything that we can do to possibly sweep the deal? No, no, I'm good. All right, all right. Just checking, just checking. And I give Gail Benson a call and give her the same offer. But I take a look, and I was just taking a look at that story, and I just said to myself, man, you know what? I'm one of these guys who always like a little shakeup. You know, one of the reasons why I love free agency and I love player movement because you just shake things up. You know, you make it new. You make it fresh. New stories, new storylines and everything. So for... A LeBron to move or for a big-time player to move or for what happened with the Golden State Warriors getting Durant and then Durant going to the new uh, the Brooklyn Nets. And it's not just basketball, but it's just anything. Tom Brady, you're not excited now about Tom Brady being with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and seeing what that team looks like moving forward if the NFL season is going to commence sometime. And the new wave, and when you're talking college sports, the fact that you have guys leaving after two, three, four years, the NBA and college basketball, where you have guys leaving after one, two, three years, and they bring in new recruits, and it's a whole new look, and it's a whole new team. That doesn't sometimes energize you, and sometimes it'll make you a little bit more interested about what's going on with your sports team, with the league that they're the league that you're um, watching, whether it be baseball or the NBA or the NFL or the NHL or or Major League Soccer, or the Bundesliga, or whatever. You know, it's always a good thing to mix things up a little bit. So, for me, I mean, the fact to see the Memphis Grizzlies move to the Seattle-Washington area, an absolutely beautiful market. Seattle-Washington, Seattle, I've, I've been there once, absolutely beautiful. Beautiful up there. Loved it. But, um, yeah, I would love to see a market like Kansas City, or maybe somewhere like uh, Las Vegas or somewhere like a Cincinnati get a get a basketball team. Even a team like Omaha, Nebraska, even a, a city like Omaha, Nebraska, you might laugh and you might scoff, but they said the same thing about Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City? 
That shit will never work. You can't put a basketball franchise. You can't put an NBA team in Oklahoma City. That will never work. That's one of the strongest fan bases there are. They come and support that team, win, lose, draw, great, elite, terrible, whatever. They're going to support that team. It's been a great market. It's been an awesome market. I take a look at somewhere like an Omaha, Nebraska. Do you see how well that community embraces the Creighton basketball squad? Their games sell out every single night. That's why I say, you know what? A possibility for the NBA, if they're looking to relocate some of these teams, why not relocate them to, say, for instance, the Louisville, Kentucky? You know how basketball crazy mad the state of Kentucky is when you're speaking about the University of Kentucky, their basketball program, and the University of Louisville, that basketball program? I'm quite sure they would be more than able to support an NBA basketball team. Louisville have the state-of-the-art facility that those guys can play in. So they, they are already ready. Las Vegas has the T-Mobile Arena. They're already ready. Um, Seattle has themselves a, a uh, arena that's going up. I mean, they're bringing in an NHL hockey team. You're going to try to tell me that Seattle can support an NHL team but not an NBA team? Give me a break. So those are just some of the things that I was thinking about, you know? Those are some of the things. The NBA, they had the Summer League out here. Yeah, I tell you one thing, it would be a really nice destination place. You could say, well, I mean, damn, you know, if you put if you put a team, say, in Omaha, Nebraska, do you think a top-tier superstar is going to be going to Omaha, Nebraska when his free agency comes up? Well, maybe not, but let me tell you something. If there's somehow some way that the Bucks can keep a hold of uh, Giannis Adenokupo, the Milwaukee Bucks should be contenders for the title for a long time. Outside of possibly Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he was playing with the Bucks back in the 70s with Oscar Robertson and that team that was coached by Don Nelson where you had Bob Lanier and Marcus Johnson and my man Sidney Moncrief and Jack Sickler and those guys when the Bucks were good in the 80s. Too bad they played the Celtics and Larry Bird and those guys. They couldn't get any farther. But Milwaukee, that could be an elite team. Portland, that could be an elite team. That's not a big market. You don't have to be. You take a look. How long have the Knicks been irrelevant? What, decades? Ever since Ewing left? That's the number one market in the country. And the NBA has thrived, has, has, has thrived with the dynasty being in San Antonio, Texas. So, hey, you know what? It can work. It can work. You know, one thing as I was doing research for this in terms of finding markets that might be interesting to the NBA, what was Mexico City? Could you see a team in Mexico City? Ugh. That would be interesting. That, that would be interesting. Now, you're talking about free agents. You're talking about what free agents going to want to live in Mexico City. It's one thing to live and apply your trade and live six or seven months out of the year in Canada, in Toronto. But to live in a place where it's a completely different culture, completely different language spoken, how would that fucking work if you had a team in Mexico City? That would be fucking interesting. And the travel. And the travel, the 32, the 30 teams or 32 teams now that we have, or 30 teams, whatever, that they have in the NBA now, I mean, there really isn't, I mean, there really isn't that long of a hike. If you go from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the West Coast to the East Coast, you're going to be playing the Clippers, then the Lakers, then the Warriors, then the Sacramento Kings, and then down, and then the Senate, um, um, Phoenix Suns and such. You know, you're not going to be jumping back you know, you're not going to take too many cross-country trips. You're only going to have a couple of, you know, across-the-country road trips that you're going to have. 
Or if you're a team in L.A., you're only going to be on the East Coast maybe once or twice a year. And if you're on the East Coast, you're only going to be in the Western Division playing the Western Conference teams once or twice in terms of making that road trip. But if you're down there in Mexico City, geez, man, almost every other game, every other road trip. I mean, when you're playing the, if you're with the Washington Wizards, you got the opportunity to play the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics and the New York Knicks and and you know and Philadelphia 76ers. Easy, easy times. You know, quick flight down to play Orlando and in Miami and such. Could you imagine? There's nowhere anywhere near Mexico City. There's nowhere near Mexico City. So every every visiting game that, or every, every road game that Mex- that the team from Mexico City would have would be a, a long flight or an arduous flight. But, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Other areas I'm looking at. Vancouver, St. Louis, Cincinnati. I would love to have a team in Vancouver. Oh, man. Man, I would love to live in Vancouver. I heard it's expensive as shit. But, man. I would love to spend my final years. I'm not going to be living in a leisure world in only Maryland. I would love to take a look and see what it's like to be living in either Vancouver or Toronto. Suburbs or area. In the next five years, six years, seven years, if you told me that I had an opportunity to live in Vancouver, I'm gone. I am gone. I am G-O-N-E gone. I don't give a fuck who's running this country. I don't care if it's Barack Obama Jr. You give me an opportunity to live in Vancouver, buddy. I am gone. If you give me an opportunity to live in a nice place in Toronto, I am gone. I'm at least investigating. I at least am investigating. If you could bring an NBA squad into the one of those cities, you got one already in Toronto, but man, to bring one to Vancouver, that would be nice. That would be real nice. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Quickly, before I go to break, James Dolan has been tested positive for the coronavirus. The Knicks said that Dolan, who's 64 years old, so he's in that range to where, you know what, man? Hey, 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 fuck, this is serious. So the Knicks said that Dolan is experiencing little to no symptoms and is self-isolating. And he's the first U.S. major pro sports owner known to have tested positive for the virus. You know what? You know, when I first heard that news, I said, discussion point, discussion point, because we're talking about James Dolan, we're talking about New York. We're talking about New Yorkers. And we're talking about the New York Knicks. I don't know if there's any owner in sports where if they came down the coronavirus, not not Robert Kraft, not Jerry Jones, not Daniel Snyder, not any of the Steinbrenner kids, Hank or Hal. I can't think of any other owner in sports where you would kind of get a reaction where it's almost like you cringe. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, oh, Lord, please be, guys, no, please, this is serious. This ain't bullshit. Don't, don't, don't go there. Because when I saw it on Twitter, it's like, oh, shit. I don't, I don't know if I want to see the comments. Because if I see the comments, it's going to make me sad. It's going to make me laugh. It's just like, because you know, James Dolan, James Dolan, and with the New York Knicks, and now this man is talking about, oh, he's been tested positive for the coronavirus. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. All right, let's bring in the jokes. Let's bring in the, I hope it's serious so we can sell the Knicks. Let's bring in those takes, because you knew that you were going to get them. Even, 
even if you really didn't think so. That had to be, when you first heard the news, that had to be the first or second thing that went through your mind. Not the fact that, oh my gosh, I sure hope that he dies, but the first or second, third thing that must have gone through your mind when you heard the news was, oh man, how many New Yorkers, how many New York Knicks fans are sitting there going good? How many New Yorkers, how many New York Knicks fans are sitting there going, I hope it's serious? How many New Yorkers, how many New York Knicks fans are sitting there going, oh man, does this mean he gets to sell the team? If it does, happy, happy, joy, joy. Oh man. And sure enough, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. I don't wish, I mean, look, man. I mean, you know, James Dolan is uh, he's a terrible owner for the basketball team. The thing is, he owns the Rangers. He owns the Liberty, the WNBA basketball team. He does well with them. I just, he just don't give a fuck about the Knicks. And why should you give a fuck about the Knicks when the Knicks, even in the dysfunctional, pathetic state that they're in, still earns millions upon millions of dollars. So if you're James Dolan, who really doesn't give a fuck about the NBA as far as his basketball product is concerned, why should he do anything different? So I was talking to my man Wax. He was talking about, you know, there's rumors talking about, well, you know, Dolan will never sell the team. Dolan will never sell the team. That's not true. Dolan may be interested in just selling the team, but that's just it. That's all you're going to get is the team. He's still going to own the. He's still going to own the Garden. He's still going to own the Liberty. He's still going to own the Rangers. So all of that money that comes, especially from owning Madison Square Garden, that's still going to be his. All you're going to get is the basketball team. All you're going to get is the Knicks. And while the Knicks are valuable, the amount of money that you're going to have to pay just to get the Knicks, and that's all you're going to get. Any smart businessman would probably be like, no, 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 no. One that makes the Knicks so valuable is the fact that I also get Madison Square Garden. James Dolan is not. Zero, no chance, none. He ain't giving up Madison Square Garden and the amount of money that that garden makes, I don't blame him. I wouldn't give it up either. So that is that is the deal there. But I just wanted to throw that out there when I saw that because it was like, oh shit, James Dolan has, has tested positive for the coronavirus. That's terrible. Oh shit, let me go to Twitter. Oh, okay. Let me, let me click on the comments. Okay, let me see what's trending. James Dolan. All right, let me go. Let me get myself ready. Let me get myself in the right frame of mind to shake my head, to be disgusted, and at the same time laugh. So, interesting. Became the first U.S. major pro sports owner known to have tested positive for the virus. Hey, man, there's some New York Knicks fans that might be rooting for your demise and everything like this. From this guy doing this podcast... I hope for a speedy, healthy, and safe recovery for James Dolan. There, I said it. Oh, and guess what? I sincerely, sincerely mean it. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me finish up with my Hoyas, the love of my lives. Georgetown basketball, Matt McClung declared for the NBA draft. His statement told ESPN in the text message 
He said, I have declared for the 2020 NBA draft while also maintaining eligibility. I have submitted my form to the Undergraduate Advisory Committee and sent in paperwork to the league office. I have also signed with the NBA NCAA certified agent, which gives me an opportunity to go through this process while also maintaining eligibility. And right now he's back in Gate City, Virginia. He said that he's going through his NBA pre-draft process with all the unknown and it's very challenging for him. He said that not knowing if I will have the opportunity to work out for teams or the status of the NBA combine makes this process different. Uh, different. Well, let me explain to you. Not knowing if I'll have the opportunity to work out for teams, you won't. Or the status of the NBA combine is not going to happen. Makes this process different. I understand that the NBA draft process will be different this year, a lot different given the COVID-19 pandemic around the world. I am looking forward to getting feedback from NBA teams, go back to school, as well as give NBA teams an opportunity to get to know me on a more personal level. Great kid, needs to go back to school. I feel as if I have an obligation with the platform I have to remind people the importance of social distancing and staying home as much as possible. You're only 20 years old. Don't tell me the importance and all these other things in my obligations. So I expect Mr. McClung to be back. Um, if he doesn't, you know, I think Javon Blair did a great job. He was inconsistent, but I think with the extended minutes that he had, that he did well. Do I want to see Matt McClung back in the Georgetown uniform? You're fucking damn right under, under uh, you're damn right I do. Yes, 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 yickety, yickety, yes. I want to see Matt McClung come back and play for Georgetown next year. And guess what? If Matt McClung really wants to make the NBA, he needs to come back to Georgetown. He needs to. Because a undersized shooting guard who can't shoot 30% from the three-point line and has difficulty getting a shot off against bigger competition and the fact that he's a, he's a horrible defender so you couldn't hide him anywhere kind of shows that or kind of tells that he needs to go back to school and work on those things. Now, he has the athletic ability. He has the jumping ability, of course. So he does have a pro. He does have a potential pro um, aspect toward his game. His athleticism, his jumping ability. But he ain't Devontae DiZincenzo. You know what I'm talking about? The kid from uh, Villanova, the guy who came out. He's not 6'5", and he's not the athletic freak that uh, DiVincenzo was or is. So if I'm Matt McClung, I go back to school. His parents don't need the money. His father and his mother are both professionals. So money isn't the issue. Um, I believe his freshman year that he did well academically. So this is another situation where he's flunking out of school and he needs to go somewhere else. This is a situation where Matt McClung needs to go back to school and he needs to go back. And what he needs to do, if I'm the pro scouts, what I would tell him to do is, number one, you got to be, you have to show us that you can be a point guard. Even in college, even with the situation that Georgetown had, even before McClung got injured with, with uh, what we believe is plantar fasciitis, he was never used as the point guard, never brought the ball up. Now, James Akinjo, his freshman year, was the point guard. He was the guy that handled all the point guard responsibilities. When he left, Terrell Allen came in, and he was playing 40 minutes a game. The fact that Terrell Allen had to be on the court for 40 minutes, and when he went to the bench, Jacob Mosley then went over from the shooting guard position to play point guard, speaks volumes of the fact that Matt McClung needs to learn how to play the point guard position. He didn't have to learn how to play it when he was in Gate City, 
He didn't have to learn how to play it when he was in when he was playing AAU. And as I mentioned before, the first two years at Georgetown, he didn't need to play or learn how to play the point guard position. He needs to dedicate not just one year, but two years um, being a point guard. And the best part is, guess what? There's an opening in terms of point guard. We don't have a point guard coming back. So the folks or the, or the players who are going to be fighting for the point guard position is going to be Dante Harris, a three-star guard from Tennessee, a freshman, and Tyler Beard, the kid from Whitney Young in, in uh, Chicago, a four-star recruit. So those are two freshmen. Now there's an opportunity maybe for Georgetown to go out in the grad transfer market to go ahead and get a point guard to come in and do what Terrell Allen did, who basically, I mean, Jaden Mosley was very, very important to the team, but Terrell Allen basically saved our bacon. I don't think after Akinjo and those guys left, and especially after Dirt 7 and McClung went down, I don't think Georgetown wins 10 games without Terrell Allen this year. That's how important that he was because we basically had nobody else to play the point guard position. Literally nobody else. So for McClung, he needs to come back and he needs to learn how to play point guard because when you get to the NBA, he ain't going to be a 6'2 shooting guard. We know that for sure. He doesn't have the ability to score in buckets from what he's shown like a Lou Williams, a guy who's undersized, who can play that type of six-man role where he doesn't have to be the point guard. He can be a scoring guard. Matt McClung has not shown that type of uh, skill or ability to do that. So he definitely needs to come back and go to Georgetown. And I'm quite, I'm quite confident that he will. But if he doesn't, we'll move on. We'll, we'll move on. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe that with Georgetown next season, if there is a schedule, if there is a season, if it starts on time, projected-wise with McClung, I'm looking at Georgetown maybe anywhere between five and seven in the Big East and fighting for an NCAA tournament berth. Without McClung, I can see somewhere between six and nine, but I still think they'll be fighting for an NCAA tournament berth. I didn't say they're going to make the tournament, but just like this season, with or without McClung, I think that the Hoyas are going to be on the bubble as we get down to February and conference tournament play, that Georgetown will be on the bubble around that first four in, you know, second, you know, first four in, number 10, 9, 11 seed, that type of, that type of deal with or without McClung. But uh, we'll see what happens. As I mentioned before, I sure hope that he comes back because Georgetown needs him and McClung needs Georgetown, again, to improve his defense and show the scouts that he can play point guard. All right. I am done. I am out of here. I want to thank you very much for listening to the program. I want everybody to be safe out there. Yeah, you see these fools out here running around, still not getting what's going down with this virus, still being ignorant, still being stupid. But seeing this, um, saw it on D.L. Hughley's Instagram. These folks in L.A., black community, were having a party for a one-year-old. A party, a block party. In the midst of what's going on, these fools are up here running around in a block party with a one-year-old. So LAPD comes down, and we know the relationship between the L.A. residents of color and the LAPD. Not the best. Put the blame mostly on the LAPD for that one, but yet and still. So they come on down, and you know they're like, hey, man, you got to disperse. You can't be having this block party. You know We got to be coming to shut it down. So, of course, these fools are up here talking about, oh, look at this, 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 this bullshit. Oh, man, fuck you, pigs. 
all this type of stupid stuff. And it's like, don't you fucking idiots realize what you're doing? You're having a fucking block party with their with your children around in the midst of an epidemic, a virus which is going around, which is devastating Los Angeles, which is devastating California. What do you think the the, the, the mayor put down at what a shelter in place or a curfew or something like that? Because this shit is no fucking joke. And here you are with young children and a one-year-old with this big group of people with virus, with a virus going around? I mean, how fucking stupid are you? How idiotic are you? How tone-deaf are you? I use the word stupid, idiotic, tone-deaf, lack, tone-deaf, lack of common sense a lot, don't I? Hey, Wendell, man, is there any other word that you can come up with other than stupid, idiotic, ignorant, tone-deaf, lack of common sense? Even the lack of common sense really is a phrase, not a word. But I'm sorry, man. I gotta, I don't know what other word to come up with. These idiots are up here on a block party with children. With children. In the midst of a state that is being ravaged by this disease. And then they get mad at the cops and they get mad and call them pigs and all this kind of stuff and this, that, and the other. When they're coming here and saying, uh, hey, dumbasses, you realize that you're not supposed to be here, right? You realize that, you know, we could arrest your dumbasses, right? If you don't disperse in an orderly, timely fashion. I mean, fuck, man, I hate to say it, but, you know, we're going to have to get to the point where we're just going to have to be like Italy. Where it's kind of like, you know what, if you're on the street and you're doing some stupid shit like that, turn on the hoses, get out the billy clubs, and let's go to work. I mean, you know, why are you going to be so goddamn fucking stupid? So, I just say, and it's not just this one instance, but we have it all the time. We have it all over this country. You know, folks of what, all races and faces and ages and places and nationalities. Did you see this fucking moron, this, this pastor, I guess, in Virginia? who Sunday was up there holding church service? Folks coming in? I mean, down at the beach in Florida, over in Jacksonville? These idiots are up here on the beach conjugating like it's no big deal? And these are going to be the first motherfuckers who get upset when in August and in September, we're still at the same fucking point that we are right now. When these idiots in Jacksonville or in Florida... When they get pissed off that college football is not going to be starting on time because it's still not going to be safe for folks to go ahead and do those type of those type of gatherings, these stupid motherfuckers are going to be the first one to blame everybody but themselves. It's a hoax. The doctors don't know what they're doing. It's not. The, it's the scientists. But of course, being from Jacksonville, Florida, they won't criticize the fucking idiot that they vote for that's in the White House. No, they'll leave him alone. But they'll blame the doctors, they'll blame everybody else, it's just a hoax, we're overreacting, this is bullshit, this is not worse than the flu. They'll blame everybody else when their glorious SEC schedule for college football is not starting on, their, on time, when the college football season is in jeopardy. These dumb motherfuckers who should be right now self-quarantining or staying at a safe distance so we can get through this, these stupid motherfuckers who are up here right now conjugating Getting the stuff is going to be going down. They're going to be the loudest people shouting and screaming and bitching and moaning and complaining when their beloved SEC football is going to be put in jeopardy because you stupid motherfuckers didn't get the message. So, you know, it's just amazing to me. These goddamn pastors, fuck all of y'all. The stupidest motherfuckers on earth have to be evangelicals. If you're an evangelical, I shouldn't pay that. That's a, that's a, that's a bad, that's a poor statement. But I will say, 
your evangelical brethren and sisterin, man, for those evangelicals who have a little common sense, for a lot of your brothers and sisters who are down with that bullshit, y'all are some stupid motherfuckers, man. Y'all are some dumb, dumb, dumb people. Man. So be safe. Be safe out there. And again, listen to what folks and what the scientists and what the experts are saying. Again, I get bad because I'm ready to get back to work. I'm ready to make a paycheck. I'm ready to get some clarity on what my future looks like. I'm ready to get the fuck out of this house. I want to get back to some type of normalcy. I want to see the NFL season start. I want to see the UFC get back to things. I want to see the boxing matches start. I want to be able to get with my friends and say what's up. I want to be able to go to a restaurant and eat. I want to be able to conjugate with a large group of people and have some fun. I want to get back to normal. I want to see the strip back open and running again. I want to see the tourists come in and uh, spend their money to help support our school and our roads and stuff. I want to see those things happen. But that's not going to happen if you have people who are ignoring what the doctors and what the scientists and what the experts are saying. And it seems like I say this every um, podcast, but it's true. It's true. So, you know, but, you know, the world we live in, man, is selfish. It's selfish. It's selfish. And, uh... That's the way it is. That's the way it is. But hopefully we'll get through it. All right. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Wendell's World of Sports with your truly Wendell Wallace. Music. Music.